0: You know, I think just the initial irascibility on a wild-caught animal, it doesn't last long. Like, as soon as you start getting them to eat, it just goes away. Like, I never get bit by my water snakes, ever. Some of the babies from certain localities are a little spunkier, shyer than others. But on the whole, like, I never get bit by my water snakes. I get bit by kingsnakes every time
1: welcome to from the ground up where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded sit back and have a beer with us well some of you are driving if you're driving keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show
2: From the ground up, whatever number. Obviously, we never introduce ourselves. This is Joe and Melissa.
1: Are we going to do that? We're going to have like a new radio intro? This is From the Ground Up Podcast with your hosts, Joe and Melissa. I mean, I didn't say
2: it like that. You made it weird. I just was noticing like, we never say our names.
1: Yeah, that is a thing, right? I don't think a lot of people... On YouTube, more so, maybe they realize that my name is Joe.
2: Yeah, we don't realize that my name is Melissa. So I feel like I need to announce it every so often. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> that would be good, like practice for business, like a a good business practice to be like.
2: My name's Melissa. My name's Joe. My name's <laughs> Melissa,
1: so that people actually know who the hell you are. Not just but, we're Port
2: City Python. Yeah,
1: yeah, but whatever you know where okay, we are. Great if you're long, listening to this right now, you know where we are.
2: Long intro. You can
1: cool, cool. Check us out on portcitypythons dot That's what we do in the outro. What do you do it? We have t shirts and animals available, as well as some cocoa products. And we will see a lot of you guys in Tinley if you're going to Tinley. Not we. Oh, I will see a lot of you guys in Tinley if you guys are headed to Tinley. Hit us up. Maybe we'll have to do like a tinley roll call type thing and meet a bunch of people. Yes. And that's pretty much it. Do we have anything else to say? Amazon links, description, whatever. You know what to do by now.
2: Yes. Introduce our guest.
1: (laughs) So today's guest is Chris Montrose from Dark Horse Herpeticulture. And Chris works with all different kinds of North American colubrids, and he kind of explained it just before uh, the stuff that you find in your backyard is pretty much what he's interested in. So Chris, if you could give us a little intro of what you work with.
0: Hey guys, uh, pretty much mostly working with locality rat snakes and water snakes. Um, Just a few kings mixed in there, but uh, just really like to see all the natural variety of rats and such found, you know, mostly in the Eastern half of the U S but you know, there's, there's some nice ones ranging a little farther West as well. So how'd you kind
1: of first get involved with reptiles in general? Uh,
0: as I understand it from my folks, uh, when I was a little kid, still in the stroller, I wasn't able to be pulled out of a, uh, little herp house up in New York. And uh, didn't want to leave. And apparently it's been a bit of a bug since then. Just a, you know, lifelong fascination overall. So
1: I think we realized that we grew up very close to each other. So you grew up in Beacon? Yeah,
0: yeah I, I was, I was, I lived there as a little kid. My parents, uh, we moved away in the, at the end of the seventies. Um, but I was, uh, that's where we we moved away from. And uh, it was actually uh, Bear Mountain Zoo was where, uh, the little herp house was and I can still picture it but don't really remember it I guess as my parents had described me being unwilling to leave so to speak from the herp house there just a little wooden room with a handful of little glass cages in the walls but uh but yeah just up there in the Hudson Valley and the extended family still up there farther up the farther up the creek so to speak um in that area except for my folks and stuff we all moved down to the south of Florida
1: hmm So, that was really, growing up, it's like the only significant snakes that you could find. Like, the black rat snake is, like, such a crazy species to find out in the wild as far as it's the only, like, large colubrid out there. And then also, you have the nerodia. So, is that kind of where you got that from?
0: I don't remember too much of snakes because I was pretty young when, I, when we moved um, to Florida. I think I was about to turn six. So other than knowing that we had a garter hibernaculum at the house um, and my dad moving them consistently over the fence um, into the back hillside, um, most of my herp exposure and growing up was all in central Florida pretty much as much as I remember of it. And,
1: and now when did you start captive keeping and breeding?
0: Uh, I started – I remember doing, I did a lot of aquariums like fish and stuff when I was in elementary school in the early 80s and mid-80s and stuff. And that kind of transitioned as I was able to get away with it to snakes and, uh, and, well, lizards and box turtles and stuff like that, um, in the mid-80s. And, uh, then, uh, a buddy I went to school with, uh who uh, was in the Boy Scouts, and through the Boy Scouts, he ended up uh, becoming a member of the Central Florida Herp Society. Um, and I, as soon as I learned about it, I ended up uh, joining in on that, and it's been pretty much a uh, downhill slope since then, so to speak. Uh, kind of introduced me to a world that didn't seem uh, realistic on the whole, so uh, been uh been pretty, pretty hooked with it ever since.
1: Well, and also just talking about, like, unrealistic as far as the Herb community, the particular one that you were in in Florida, is obviously huge. Like, who were some people that you were exposed to as a kid?
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, guys like Wayne Hill, you know, the, the you know National Reptile Breeders Expo. That actually kind of spawned out from our big auction we had every year. And he, he and the club started that, and he ended up taking it over years later after I'd moved up here to Alabama. But, uh, you know, guys like that, George Van Horn was in the area. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of other guys that are, you know, turtle guys and other guys. Peter Pritchard lived in the town where I went to middle school and high school and stuff like that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of people. Dennis Ulrich, big turtle breeder down there in Kissimmee vicinity, um, you know, that knew him when I was a kid, too. You know, so there's a lot of people, you know, that I got to. Meets with the guys, you know. spent some time volunteering in the Herp House at Central Florida Zoo uh, towards the end of high school and stuff before I left college. Um, so, a, a, a lot of people, you know, it's a big Herp area down there. Back then, it wasn't, you know, it was just a Herp club that was the main thing, you know, that existed before all these shows and the internet and all that kind of stuff. So, it was the main connection for everybody then.
1: How prevalent was were like captive breeding at that point and the industry in quotes
0: yeah you know it it, it really not a lot most of it still back then was heavy dealer related you know acquisitions and stuff like that there definitely were people breeding i used to get to go to um i used to help uh, my father used to take me down to winter haven and help uh wayne hill used to organize all the league of florida herp society's newsletter and we used to go down there with some regularity later in high school and uh help collate put those together label them get them ready for mailing and stuff and usually if i went i was usually able to go over and visit his facility and uh that time it was pretty much all snakes he hadn't gotten in all the turtles and tortoises that he has uh shifted to these days but uh you know got to see a lot of a lot of cool stuff back then and, and he was you know breeding a lot of that stuff back you know at that point so there was definitely happening it just wasn't happening Anything like it is nowadays. That was really kind of at the point where stuff was taken off, and the first shows were happening, and people were learning from each other as to how to be successful doing that sort of thing. You know, most of it seemed more by chance than anything else. But there were a lot of people that were doing a good job back then. Guys like Eugene Deset was up in Gainesville, and you know the brands at Gourmet Road were breeding, you know, a good bit at that time too. So it was, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of it going on. It just still was a heavy dealer related industry at that point.
1: Yeah, now you must have been on the forefront, obviously, of all the exotics imported into Florida and stuff like sure, that. Sure. Like, sure. Were you yep. seeing crazy things coming in?
0: Oh yeah. I mean you get to you get to see everything. I mean, and and of course my fancy aside from, you know, was back then was really keeping those exotic things. It wasn't, you know, the banded water snakes that I hiked around going snake hunting for growing up you know and those sort of things and the yellow rats crossing the road and all those kind of things you know those things back then it was you know all the crazy stuff that would show up our hurt meetings were like a huge buy and sell thing every month and so you had a lot of opportunity to see great stuff without even having to go anywhere but to the meetings and so you know you just got to see everything from all the rare asian box turtles back then to gosh everything i mean i remember seeing things like hellbenders and all sorts of crazy stuff people would show up with down there, you know, it just, it was like a cornucopia. I'd save all my money every month and go there and see what I could end up getting my hands on. You know, you just, it was like, you know, it was like Christmas. It was like the big expos, you know, became ultimately became in the early days. And so, you know, it was, it was definitely getting to go to some of the importers back then too. It was like, it was, it was, very eye-opening as to how that into the industry functioned as well as, you know, it's like in a candy shop, of course, you know, and being able to have access to stuff much more affordable than, you know, what I had access to through pet shops and other venues, you know, growing up. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Now, was there, I mean,
1: was CITES already in a thing?
0: Oh, yeah. A- yeah, it was. There were plenty of species, but the thing with Florida was, is so many people kept stuff down there that there was a lot of these species you could all keep, you can send, you still can down there. You know, there's a lot of species because people had them for so many years in those areas. You could have a lot of these captive bred animals within state lines. So, you know, we saw everything, I mean, everybody had whatever they wanted to some extent. And obviously we know through all the the different books of the dealer, you know, published about the dealers and stuff, you know, the day down back then, that there was lots of, sketchy stuff going on and you know that kind of thing but uh you know not at the level that i was at of course i never saw any of that kind of stuff because you know i wasn't a, i wasn't a big guy in that i you know going and buy a few frogs or some other random stuff when i had chances or you know some basilisks or something cool like that but you know never the high dollar stuff that these guys are getting in trouble for
1: yeah yeah smuggling in fiji iguanas and stuff like that
0: yeah Right, right. You know, most of those guys, I, you know, I got to meet them back then, you know, like Crutchfield stuff, you know, he's always a nice guy to me, always very generous to me and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, it's, it's a tempting field back in Florida and some people think they're in the right and government says they're not. So it is what it is, you know?
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting though, that our, our industry has built a strong base on things like bearded dragons, you know, that he first. Right brought in from Australia. And despite right. the legality of it, they are probably sure. more captive
0: bred here than probably anywhere right. else. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's you know, a lot of those species like that, you know, the, the, the origins of those original specimens probably highly in question, you know, whether they came in through Europe or otherwise or somebody's suitcase, you know, there's lots of stories out there on how all those species showed up, but, you know all history at this point you know on the whole they're you know things like beardies are well established and loved by everybody so you know it's it's been nothing but a good thing for the whole and gotten people away from all the iguanas and stuff of the day back you know years ago
1: yeah i mean that's a crazy thing the the amount the two dollar iguanas coming in from belize i forget the number but it's like over like in the hundreds yeah. of thousands the, of Agnes. Wow.
0: yeah the, the volumes that used to come through I, one dealer i used to get to go through through with a, with a uh, an acquaintance it was kind of a middleman kind of guy it was robert sands down in the tampa area and he had some arms apparently down in one of the countries the way el salvador i don't know where and you know just get to see the thousands of babies that he had come in you know all at once and all these things you know all these big all these these big runs you know greenhousey runs is is amazing you know but you don't see that because it's been replaced with the leopards and the beardies and all the other more manageable nicer species than than those i mean obviously with the morphs the iguanas are taking a bit of a, a pickup in interest obviously but uh, i think the price and prior knowledge has kept them from being too popular at least i hope <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think it's interesting how it's shifted as far as I remember even in the 90s going to things like white plains and there were so many yeah. frilled dragons, green bassists oh, yeah. and yep, different different things like sail dragons, things that you don't see yep. anymore
0: cuz I mean No, it's hard it's hard to find a lot of those guys and it just comes down to their, they they don't make good pets, so to speak. And so because they don't make good pets, a lot of the guys doing any sort of volume breeding got away from them. I mean, like one of my sense. hands down favorite herbs that there, that there is, 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 is the basilisk genus. I mean, basilisk are like my hands down favorite. I used to have worked with almost all of them in, in the past, and, but at the same time, there's no market for them. So it's a real hard thing to want to work with is you know, those things reproduce pretty relevant, you know, pretty productively, and it makes it uh, difficult to find uh, outlets for them it might be easier now with social media but you know and it doesn't fit into my lifestyle at the moment so i don't have you know i don't i don't have them although imagine if one or two species came into my grasp, i probably would cave in and make it happen somehow
1: (laughs) no i mean and just animals like that require so much space were you able to kind of experiment with i mean living in florida were you able to experiment with outdoor caging and stuff like that
0: Most of that stuff, uh, I, although I did have the, the common striped basilisks while I was young um, uh, in Florida, like through high school and stuff, but uh, I didn't really start keeping them avidly until I moved up here to Alabama, and, uh, and so I never did any outdoor enclosures uh, with those guys. It was all just big walk-in enclosures in a back room, just kind of walked in. There were several big, big door sets that were, um, you know, you went into each enclosure and they were ceiling the floor enclosures you know, with big pools and pumps. And, you know, it was a lot. I, you know, I set them up. Most of my stock was all wild caught, you know, fresh from importers in South Florida. And so, you know, they got a lot of room and a lot of privacy and I didn't really see them and I mostly heard them, but, you know, uh, wish I could do it again, but it just doesn't fit in the lifestyle. Like I said, at the moment, I can't, can't can't make room for that. With As you can maybe hear in the background, some barking. my wife and I have a few quite a few dogs that we, uh, we raise and show. So it's, tends to to take up that space. Understandable.
1: I mean, I remember not being successful with a lot of animals like back in the day, imported animals and stuff that you used to get. I mean, sure.
0: Has that? Sure. Every, everybody had failures back then because of the state of the health of those guys more than everything and lack of knowledge of husbandry. It was all a wing it and hope you lucked out and it would work more than anything.
2: But yeah. you're happy you got your hands on it at the same time yeah. because- sure
0: and that's and that's really what it was back then you know and it took quite a few years of people that really stuck to some of those species to understand what they needed and uh and now we you know can get involved with these various species a little bit more knowledgeably and successfully and not have the mortality rates that you know that we saw decades ago so it's uh you know definitely come a, a long way it's amazing to me just what i've got to see since i got into it in the in the middle late 80s to to now where where herp is where herp in general is really it's it's
1: amazing what do you think the biggest difference is from there to now
0: i i think just available information i think it, where everybody can access information even though there's obviously plenty of naive and you know overexploited information on some of the stuff where somebody just had one and they go and publish up a bunch of you know stuff on the internet and people get access to that and think that's you know the token answer but there's a lot of you know there was a lot of people that really made Treadway on a lot of species you know over the years that don't necessarily get the credit for a lot of things you know and you know some real pioneers that either aren't around or aren't doing the same things anymore because they needed to shift with markets or, you know, whatever the case may or just interests changed. I mean, I don't work with anything. What I used to work with years ago, I was much more strictly tropical years ago. You know, all the tropical stuff was fascinating, you know, whether it be Amazons or whatever. And having worked in the zoo field for a long time, it may, it allowed me to have access to pretty much anything to learn about and work with. And because, and so, you know, I got to, you know, experience and be successful and fail a lot of cross-section of, you know, horticulture in general.
2: Um, Being someone who was a part of the snake world before, you know, we had this fast access to information, i.e.
0: being the internet, yeah. are you
2: someone who kind of shies away from it or you're really into it? Kind
0: of? Oh, are you, as far as the, the overall information that's out
1: there?
2: Or just internet it
1: seems like there's like two oh, either yeah some people yeah. Are like facebook people some people shy away from it very intensely. i i i,
0: I play both sides of it pretty additively um i have found that i stayed off facebook forever until a few years ago my wife and i kind of decided that uh with our showing and stuff uh with our dogs that we kind of wanted to start a kennel page so to speak and didn't really want to do a website because i'm just not that tech savvy and wanted to deal with that in any capacity so of course wanting to do a kennel page i had to get a personal page and uh and then once i kind of got into with all my friends that i already had with you know herps and facebook it kind of is kind of the main reason why i'm on facebook more than anything and then realized that i was able to because i had taken a couple breaks on and off over the years of even keeping anything and I had gained a pretty big group, pretty good tight group of folks here in the Southeast um, through the North American Field Herpers Association. Um, uh, Once I was able to get on um, social media with these guys and, you know, be able to share and exchange information, you know, finds and all that good stuff. uh, I realized that I was able to uh, find people with niche interests, you know, that kind of lined up with me and, you know, and, or I could just find it's interesting even if I wasn't keeping them and be able to keep up with what's going on with stuff, you know, I mean, I still I'm on basilisk pages just because I love basilisk and, you know, granted almost everything on there is overseas in Europe, but, you know, because most of that's interest has faded away in this country, but, uh, you know, it, it's allowed me to find people that love water snakes and love rat snakes and, you know, whatever else. And I don't, you know, I can, I can find those people that, you know, aren't into the, I can get, find the people that are wet, don't, think that you know the whole world is our hurt market is just morphs and albinos and stuff i can find the guys that you know like the the stuff we find in our backyard so sweet you know yeah there's everybody's backyards different backyards from you know all over all over the region you know
2: there's someone out there for every yeah because it's Facebook. like there's such
1: there a uh everyone has a voice and sometimes that's a bad thing but if absolutely. you're absolutely but if you have a interest in a niche thing. If I was a ball python guy, I would probably never be on Facebook. But if I'm on, a <laughs> bla- if I'm on the black rat snake group, there's much less shenanigans there. And you can, sure, and, you know, Absolutely, if you're able yeah. to filter out who's legit and who's not, you know, you can do that pretty quick.
0: Yeah. And and some of it just comes into, you know, I, so I got to a point in my life where, you know, I don't, I don't have to respond and I don't have to comment. I don't have to do all those things with all that. Silly, silly stuff that's out there you know i may pipe in here and there when i find it's appropriate but i try to stay out of the drama that you know is out there so much in you know facebook world you know try to just keep it to the point for the most part and you know not be a know-it-all and not because you know we all don't know it all we all have some information to share here and there and we can help each other out from time to time but you know there's a lot of people that know more than every one of us out there and you know there's plenty that really enjoy and go out of the way to share information with each other more so than maybe what I do unless I'm directly doing it with an individual, so to speak, at least in the public format for me. I don't like to do it that way as much. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, everything
1: now I feel like is very cooperative as far as, you know, breeders trying to breed things, kind of keep things. For what I've heard, some yeah. old school people would kind of keep like trade secrets. Was that?
0: Oh, man. Background? Oh, yeah sure absolutely everything was cutthroat you know to be have some you know have something that other people didn't and you know and be successful where other people aren't sure it, it was and you know i mean it's still out there to some extent but enough you know we've learned enough of the basics to be successful with all these guys you know the colubrids on the grand scheme of things aren't all that different from one another when it comes to you know cycling them and keeping them healthy enough to, to reproduce. And, you know, we're all always learning new tricks when it comes to getting, you know, uh, finicky babies going and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, you you know, I I don't find a week that I'm not learning something, you know, I can't say every day as far as when it comes to my herbs, because some days works just doesn't work. Doesn't let me spend too much time in that capacity. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's always stuff to learn, you know, and, and in turn, Sharing it with folks, you know, and I try to do that with folks that end up getting any of my, you know, surplus babies and stuff is, you know, if I can tell that they're not, you know, super deep into herps and, you know, uh, super experienced, I try to give them tidbits that I can to make sure that they're successful. You know, it's only gonna, you know, I guess it's only gonna make me look better if I'm helping them out, you know, and I want them to be successful at anything they're getting from me you know, any of my guys, because I put a lot of effort into mine as it is. So I want them to, you know, not have any troubles as best as possible.
1: Yeah. And I think that's super important, especially because obviously you want people to be successful because I mean, I don't know people who are exactly working with what you're working with. Like, why do you think that these things have been somewhat overlooked as far as water snakes and even, you know, black rat snakes?
0: I I mean, a lot of it ends up being just, you know, people's experiences with them have just been in the wild, you know, in their yards while they're fishing, while they're herping, while the road cruising, whatever the case may be. And, you know, water snakes have a terrible reputation for being just irascible and bitey and stuff. But, you know, most of them, you know, particularly like some of the ones that I like working with the most, which are the fasciata uh, subspecies and mangroves and stuff. A lot of these guys, you know, once you get past that initial defensive behavior from these guys, they, they really come become just like amazingly tractable and really easy going to work with. And uh, you know, there's obviously variations just like there is with others from one to one, you know, one individual to the next, but uh, you know, I actually find most of my water snakes to be a much more laid back group of animals than uh, by all means, any king snakes I keep and probably a good portion of my rat snakes. You know, I can go in there, open a, open a tub to you know any of my any of my bandits and stuff, man, and they're just coming right out, expecting to be fed. And they'll come right out of my arms, and you know, you know, then I'm not getting eaten up by them and stuff like I do with any of the king snakes snakes. 'Cause I open up, you know, they're gonna come right on and latch on to you in a heartbeat. So
1: that's interesting. So I honestly I don't really know anyone who keeps. Water snakes, water snakes in any type of
0: <laughs> legitimate capacity all.
1: so how do you even keep yeah water snakes?
0: <laughs> man they're just i keep them just like i do my rats and kings really no different exactly the same thing except for i guess because they're not climbers and constrictors i don't have to worry about the top of the cage quite as bad as i need to worry about uh uh you know keeping my rats and kings especially you know uh I don't, I'm not into the drawer systems and stuff mostly because I'm a cheap ass and don't want to spend the money or put the time into building a big drawer system. I tend to like a little bit deeper tubs where I can put some branches in for my guys and let them get off the substrate and, you know, get get up off the ground and, and, and won't quite say bass because they really don't have that true opportunity the way I set them up, but at least just get off the ground have different opportunities to stretch your legs, work their muscles and those sort of things. But on the whole, you know, uh, the, the water snakes are, you know, just in big sixty-something quart tubs with branches and hides, and and maybe a little bit bigger water bowl than some of the waters than the rat snakes and stuff have. But you know, they're they're set up exactly the same. I, you know, essentially, really, just no different. Now, do they- and they really need that. They need that to be success to be successful with them. I mean, it's they they don't really tolerate high water environments and moist environments.
1: Really, so. Because obviously you always see them basking on a log or something and in and around the water, but you don't see that they're very aquatic in captivity.
0: They they will utilize it. Um, The problem is, is in in captivity, the way we're setting them up, they don't have the same airflow that they do outside. Um, If you actually were to pay attention to them outside, they don't spend a lot of time in the water. They're spending time to actually go hunt. And they're spending time to flee from a predator situation. They're not just hanging out in the water. You know, they're they're basking, they're sitting up in the bank, they're up in a burrow hole in the bank, whatever. You know, they're they're you know, they may be cruising from one place to the other in the water and are hunting for, in the water, but they if you spend any time working with them, you'll realize if you keep them in a moist environment, you're gonna get blister disease pretty quick and 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 have a good chance of losing your animals. So keeping them keeping them dry, um is is really important and
1: now talking about the hunting i mean it seems like they would be eating a lot of fish and frogs and stuff like that do you what do you feed them in captivity and is it hard to get them feeding on rodents
0: uh i I do primarily do rodents for a, a couple of different reasons and um depending on species it's different um some are much easier usually after, you know, just a meal or two of getting them to eat whatever they're willing to take, whether it be fish or frog. Um, I can get them over onto, uh, onto a, a, a scented hairless rodent pretty on a, much on a dime. Um, it doesn't usually within just a few meals, most of them are taken. them, and I've had some take them, take a scented rodent right off the bat. And then within, you know, Usually a few months once they kind of get conditioned to the life, you know, to their to, to to me feeding them and getting food from me, they don't. I don't even have to send them anymore. It's they're just happy to come and get food right from me. I mean, I do get use some fish here and there um, and cycle it in um, for various reasons. I mean, it's mostly just muscle meat, so they're not getting much more than protein out of the situation. But you know. Um, rodents are just a good complete diet that really pack on the weight well and hold the weight well you don't have to feed them as often because of it um in the wild they're feeding a lot more frequently on fish and frogs because those break down a lot quicker um and that gets to be dare I say inconvenient in captivity to try to keep up with all that and feed them often enough and feed them enough fish um and then you have the whole issue of you know the fish and frogs are good vectors for parasites you know and so once I've kind of got my guys to parasitize i ideally don't want to introduce anymore if I can help it you know
1: yes I guess that's the that's the next question like where would you source frogs and or fish from and what kind of fish or frogs would you use
0: yeah so that's the thing I mean initially when I first you know acquire some new new water snakes you know be it I collected them or or whatever the case may be which is usually the case in the water snakes um, I just go find a stream swamp somewhere nearby and just get my hands on them I do keep have some Fortunately, do have some bronze frogs that tend to live in my water garden, so I do have a occasional source for them there. But I can usually find some places around here. And once I get them eating, then it's easy peasy. They're 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 usually really willing to, to go. They're really actually uh, really easy tractable animals. You know, for the most part. Some species, not so much. I tend to work more with the bandits and the mangroves and anything because I kind of I just really I really like their personalities and um, their hardiness more so i mean i do have some browns and i've got some midlands and i've parted with way with a few species and failed at other species and um for you know every reason under the book who knows some of this one species i didn't i, I was i stopped working with uh plain bellies because i was struggling with the offspring i couldn't get them off fish i couldn't get the babies off fish but yet i could catch a well-caught juvenile and get it on a scented pinky in no time so you know there's I have found the bandits and the mangroves once established are great. And the babies are pretty darn hardy and easy, easy going, which makes it easy for people to take interest in them as well. You know, and I can share what I enjoy. Are you, are you freezing the frogs
1: and stuff like that beforehand or are you feeding them?
0: I I do. I do. If I have to continue feeding them, um, it kind of depends in the beginning. Um, In the beginning, I, I, I just want the water snakes to eat and that's my only goal. I haven't dewormed them or done anything at that point with them. I'm just want them to be willing to take food in captivity. Once I get them willing to take food in captivity, you know, it's all downhill from there. They're, they're, they're usually pretty willing to go from there. And then I'll, as soon as I start, you know, getting them to eat regularly and get deworming going, um, then I'll, you know, then I, I, will go with just, you know, I usually keep a few frozen frogs in the freezer for scenting. If I, if I need it in a dime, you know, um, and I used to do seasonally, I'll go out and catch, um, large volumes of, uh, gambusia and freeze those. Um, but I've kind of now gotten hooked on the lazy way of going and buying tilapia from the Walmart and, uh, stripping that up to get some of these little guys going, excuse me, if they can't get on the pinks right off the bat. So, uh, saved me a little time having to run down to some local swamps and, Dipping stuff and sifting them out and bagging them up and freezing them up and you know, going through that whole rig roll. So it uh is, you know, doesn't fortunately tilapia is reasonably expensive, reasonably affordable, but it doesn't have a good odor, I found that uh, so it doesn't uh quite draw the same interest that uh, some other fish species uh do, like bluegill and gambucha and stuff like that. They tend to have a little bit more odorous fish smell again uh, tilapia has got almost no fish smell so i've kind of noticed a little lack of responses switching over to using that but uh you know it's 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 definitely made it easy strip them up into whatever size pieces those different water snake babies need to get them going so i can get them onto pinks as soon as they're able to size wise because some of these guys are just too small to get even on a small pink right off the bat just like the garter snake guys you know i have to deal with too
1: Really, I didn't know that they kind of started off that small. So how small are you yeah, some, for a baby? Uh,
0: like baby midlands and, and like northern water snakes, man, those guys are tiny, man. Just a couple of inches and couldn't take up day old pink if they like bend on it. You know, it, it usually takes a good handful of meals. And I have had some banded water litters that, um, and and, man, and mangrove litters last year. At least one of my mangrove, two mangrove litters last year were those babies were too small to take pinks for a good little while. I had wow. to go wait a couple of months before I could get them on. And at that point I was mostly just using, gam- you know, thawed bamboo on them I and they took it eagerly. And once they got big enough, I got to move on the pinks. That's what sort of thing. So it worked pretty easy. That's crazy.
1: That's something that I didn't really consider, especially being yeah. like, uh, I, I tend I'm- to think corn snakes are about as small as they could get sometimes.
0: <laughs> oh no, man. Baby corn snakes are great, man. I mean, they're, they're, they're way easier than dealing it. Think of something about the same, maybe even, uh, this, maybe the same diameter as a small corn, but cut the thing in half, lengthwise. I mean, just wow. mi- mi- midlands are little teeny things, just like baby garters, which I do keep a few garters. Um, they're, they're teeny, man. These things are just itty-bitty when they're born. You know, some species of garters obviously have much bigger babies, you know, but uh, easterns don't seem to, by any means. Yeah tiny little things when they're born fortunately the waters are a little bit bigger but uh the bandits have nice size babies mangroves have reasonably nice size babies as well so uh browns diamondbacks all those guys have pretty reasonable size babies so um most of those guys are pretty easy to get onto pinks and sometimes even bigger you know right off the bat
1: now is the cycling similar to your
0: other colubrid species absolutely yeah in fact i've already started throwing stuff and cooling them down over the past couple of weeks and stuff that were that didn't breed this season either because they just didn't go for whatever reason or they weren't ready because they were newer wild caught acquisitions last year and uh um or you know whatever reasons i've already started cooling some down i've got water snakes in there got king snakes in there i've got rat snakes in there in fact just before we got on online here i just threw two more two more pairs of, of rat snakes into the fridge to uh, cool down and we'll be adding more in the next week or two. Basically all the stuff that didn't breed, I'm getting them in on an early cycle right now. And then I'll follow the other words in afterwards as oh. I can fit them in, as I can fit them in.
3: <laughs> I didn't
1: know so so are you kind of staggering off a little bit? Cause we, yeah, that's put uh, everything down at the same it,
0: time, but. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, when I started getting back into keeping colubrids a handful of years ago, uh, I was kind of trying to just go with cool, the whole room down concept. Uh, my buddies that I breed a lot of my rat snakes with, he just cools all his babies down, just his whole, his whole building just gets cooled down all at once. And it's all climate controlled. And so I started, do, started doing that, but with him living near on the edge of the Appalachian mountains, seven hours North of me, it's a little easier for him. He, he basically was trying to keep them from getting too cold. Whereas for me, our temperatures fluctuate here so much in central Alabama that um the first year was okay. It worked pretty well. Uh, uh, and then it, I was having hit or miss. And last year was just such a terrible winter for us that like my guys didn't cycle. Well, I had some babies that, you know, I lost that I shouldn't have just because they were staying too warm and staying too active and burning too much fat. And, you know, uh, but yet I'm trying to not feed them cause it's not warm enough to do that. So, uh, I did some, working on trying to get what I could and talking to my buddy that I worked with on some of this and scrounged up a nice big fridge off a neighbor and a little bit of fancy wiring help from my friend and uh got myself a fridge set up that I could adjust the temperature to where I needed it to be instead of what the fridge would let me put it at so now I just have x amount of space to work with and uh, there's not enough room to put all the stuff I cooled down at once in there. So, um, starting to stagger it now. And I think it'll actually work better. It'll keep me from being so overloaded all at the same time of the year, you know, if, if it works first time I'm technically trying it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But I think it's uh, plenty of other people out there do, you know, stagger their stuff year round. I mean, I, this past winter, you're seeing people's, you know, king snakes hatching out in January. It's like, well, obviously, they cool those guys down at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, and that window so in order to be having stuff hatching that early. So, you know, I think some of them are doing it for timing to get to the shows and stuff like that, trying to get their stuff up and out as early as possible. For me, it's just getting stuff cycled properly and having enough space to do it, you know, in the right space. And now I can keep my young ones up. And, and awake and, 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 keep them on a, on a feeding schedule with just a little space heater in our room, you know, just as needed based on, uh, thermal cycles here in, the, in this area. Yeah. I think
1: that's so it's cool to have something like that because we obviously, when we were in Texas really struggled with getting it down cold enough and then right. swing and the temperature would swing all the
0: time. Right. Yep, And that's, that's basically where I got with last year and just got so mad at it that I was like, I gotta, I gotta change it. And so, uh, did some, did some working on it. Um, this past, well, I guess it would have been right before winter last year and, uh, and, uh, it made it work, you know, got it, got it going, got it set up. A friend showed me which thermostat I needed to make Happened. He was in the electrical field and sent, showed me what YouTube videos had. Actually, some herp guys actually had the same thermostat. You know, showed me how to wire it up right so that I could bypass the thermostat, so to speak, on the fridge and stuff, and I can set it right where I need it or change it if I so care to as well. So, uh seems to be working. I just wish you know I had like four of them. I guess. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone wishes they had more of something in their collection. Sure.
0: Absolutely. More of them just means that much. I just don't have the time for anyway. So it's, it's limitations are always good, even if it's unwillingly forced on you. <laughs> yeah. And
1: it's like the, the the way the market works, especially with Colubrids. I don't know if Python guys understand as much, but with the Colubrids, everyone's hashing out at the same time. And so sure, all your competition has stuff, and then you sell out, and then it's tax time, and everyone's buying things. So it's yep. like, damn, yep. I wish I still had babies now. But
0: yeah, it, it, it's interesting because then you have pinky shortage supplies when you're trying to buy pinkies. I ran into that and had to go back to a previous you know supplier that I was I had left because I had no choice. You know things like that. It's 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 all out there, and so you know, fortunate with me, I tend to be a bit obsessive because a lot of the stock I work with is either. Stock I'm getting um, from my close friend that I breed with rat snakes from you know, his, his collection from that he has built of, of North American rat snakes from over 30 years and other stuff that I'm I've fresh collected and brought in from localities that I want to work with and people aren't working with and stuff. And so I tend to be obsessive about holding back stock. And so, you know, I tend to come late winter. I go tend to go through and have have stuff available, kind of when some of the different cycles of people wanting stuff I go yeah I really don't need three pairs of those you know I can let go this pair I can maybe let go two pairs you know those that sort of stuff I tend to keep them back just to watch your colors develop particularly with the water snakes and and just so that I always have at least some backup from that particular you know stock and locality um and and make sure that I don't lose it because that was lessons learned years ago with exotics you go and spend you know a couple hundred bucks or whatever on some you know, the Southern white lip Python, you know, and you scrounge up, you know, the money and find the availability of a second one. Well, if you lose one, well, n- now you're screwed. Right. Just getting your hands on one and saving it, saving up the money to get another one. Well, fortunately with me, my interest allows me to go out in the field and, and, and find what I want or, uh, you know, get with good friends that are out there and get stock from them. But I try to at least have it's best I can at least have two pairs of everything around and if not even have some offspring sitting in the background too, just as backups, you know, stuff happens, failures happen, you know, whether it be just husbandry issues or, you know, as everybody runs it, you know, I've known plenty of guys that have, you know, uh, electricity issue, issues, heating failures, all these sort of mm-hmm. things, you know, a good, good friend of mine had a, had, had a bad failure last year and, and, uh, and lost uh, over half its collection. You know, and, you know, it was pretty devastating because he had a lot, he had stuff that he got for me and he had a lot of rare stuff, you know, I say rare, rare in the capacity of, you know, lineage and bloodline wise, not, you know, like these, you know, some anthill pythons or some other, you know, stuff that, you know, it's harder to get your hands on, but, you know, you know, rare species that aren't in captivity, rare localities that aren't in captivity and stuff like that. So, you know, it's pretty devastating for him and reassured why I try to keep backups of stuff and as well as know where. Some of my harder-to-come-by localities and, and species and stuff, I, I know where they're at. I keep a list of everything I sell to people, you know, mostly just so I know where they went or if they come back and get some more from me, I know exactly what I've sent with them from which pairs or whatever the case may be. I can make sure that they get unrelated ones or whatever. You know, I just write down what I've, what's I've gone out the door to certain people so that I can, I can relay back to that and try to keep up with where some particularly certain things like my Solinsky rats and stuff like that. I can try to keep up with where they're at, that sort of thing. Ooh,
2: Solinsky's. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: so you
1: find that a lot of the people who are getting your animals, are they like hardcore locality guys? Or some people are just whatever, I want to pet. Or are there other
0: people? Uh, more more, the, more the, the locality and niche interest guys, you know, especially with the rat snakes, because everything I have at this point now is all locality. Um, I don't have anything. I purged all my Florida King morphs. I'd ended up through with trades and stuff like that. I got rid of them over the winter last year in the spring and, uh, just purified myself just to locality, Florida Kings and stuff (laughs) like that. Um, yeah. Um, and just got rid of the, just recently traded out, um, my pair of, uh, Pueblins, uh, that I had taken in on a trade from a buddy that, um, I figured I'd, I kept them on and off over the years and never bred. i was like, ah, what the heck? I'll tape them. I bred them twice or I guess twice now. And I had a buddy that wanted to let go of a few things that I just had to have. And I started throwing things out. I was like, you can have Pueblins, you can have this, you can have that. And, uh, you know, so I was really grateful to get what I got. And he was excited to get my baby Pueblins and my adults. And was, uh, I can't even remember what else I sent him, but a bunch of other stuff. But, you know, I'll, I'll let go of pretty much anything mix get Fox makes in my hand. So, you know. <laughs> no you but that was my last generics i think i have if anything at all as far as you know not tight-knit locality stuff
1: now you kind of alluded to heat a little bit but are you keeping uh kind of an ambient situation
0: yeah yeah i use ambient um and utilizing my window opening and closing like now i'm closing it at night opening it up depending on when my wife or i gets home when i'm still in there and pop the window open a little ways to let the heat once it warms up because we're getting down to the night times are dropping 68 72 window and I don't want the room quite dropping quite that low so I just shut it down before I go to bed and traps traps those upper 70 low 80 heats in there until one of us can pop the window even if it's later in the afternoon when we get home whatever the case may be but uh, and then just use a space heater as needed um, during the winter months for the babies just kind of I'm I'm not one I've known too many people have fire issues and all those sort of things, you know, and, and bad electrical scares that I don't, I don't run it when I'm not home. Just I come home and kick it on and I just moderate it that way. And if it's the rooms not staying warm enough and if it's really staying hard, cold outside and I'm kind of trouble flexing, I just don't feed the babies. I mean, it's easy enough, you know, I don't, I'm not a heavy feeder anyway. So it's uh it, it's, it's, no flack off my back. I'd rather them be safe than have food in their stomach and the temp cycle down and go and rot on them and I lose them. So.
2: And you said you're in Alabama now?
0: Yes. Yeah, I've been here for a long time now.
2: <laughs> gotcha. So your winters are pretty warm-ish.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get cold. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we get we get plenty of nights in the low teens and uh, wind chills in the single dig- digits, you know, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not like Michigan or anything, you know. So, but yeah, in general, I mean, we, we herp all winter down here. It's just, we shift to amphibians mostly, and but I can actually have better snake days Herping for salamanders in here in the winter than I can on a summer day, you know, in this part of the country. So, yeah, that's
1: that's crazy. I think people are always scared to get their snakes too cool, but you think that there's not really an issue as long as they're not fed and have to digest during a cool period.
0: Yeah, that's really all it is. Is it, you know, it's just you just can't let food sit in that stomach when they're you know when when they're when their temperatures are dropping, and even if it's just nighttime drops, you know, it's you can they'll they'll regurg and if it's you know and then and they ultimately can die too so you know you just have to you know just have to pay attention to the weather i've be you know past quite a number of years i've become a bit of a you know uh just obsessive about paying attention to the weather just because of going field herping as well as um you know just keeping up with what's with my room and stuff and i'm a big gardener too so paying attention to rain cycles and stuff like that helps me keep up with you know how well whether I need to water or not, and that sort of thing, and that, you know all that good stuff. So
1: I don't know much about the process of how water snakes are bred. So obviously, you're putting together in spring or whenever they warm up.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty easy. I mean, with water snake, because I, I work with mostly water snakes and rat snakes, I, I had everything. I don't individually keep anything but my king snakes. Um, even my milk snakes, well, uh, the past three years that I've had them, my, my my Pueblans were cohabbed as well. So everything based on their breeding groups are just kept together. And then I cool them down the same way um, and then just warm them up. It's it's really no different. I just, uh, you know, I put them in a smaller container, smaller locking container. And based on the, how big they are, or if there's a pair or a trio sort of a thing and uh, pop them in the fridge check on them periodically, open the door every couple of days, make some fresh air, some fresh air popping in there. Um, and, uh, wake them up. And, you know, usually with those guys, it varies when they're going to breed. Um, I I've noticed that most of them pretty much breed within about a month or so of, uh, you know, them warming up and getting eating and that sort of thing. I don't get to see most of the time, you know, it's mostly I can just start telling that they're getting swollen and then palpate and I can feel that they're there, but, uh, Uh, some of these guys will breed in the summertime and just wait, 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 wait later. But, you know, plenty of other snakes do that too, just depending on which part of the country they're from, you know, you get a little farther North and those guys don't get a chance to breed as early as something from South Florida does, you know, so it ends up being, uh, you know, and a lot of my water snakes are actually uh, Florida localities. Um, So a lot of those guys will breed summer. I've still got three water snake litters I'm waiting on any day now. And any day means any time of the next month, because, you know, some of them I saw breeding, uh, one of them I didn't. So i them, um, you know, it's a bit of a guess. You know, I just go in there a couple times a day, throw the flashlight in. Okay, no babies.
2: <laughs> That's what I was. Keep the females fed. To ask Ashley, since you cohab them, do you feel like you don't see the actual lockups happening that often? Yeah,
0: or- I, 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 I really do, I, and and it's no big deal to me. I, I don't really care. Um, I, I enjoy working with my stuff, and I kind of just if stuff's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, if I'm doing a good job or if the animals have been, you know, in the case of some of the wild caught stock, if they've been in captivity long enough, um, they'll go when they're ready, when they're, when they've relaxed enough and, and put, put enough, uh, you know, fat stores on to ovulate and that sort of thing. They'll go, you know, I've got a couple that I expected to, to go this spring and didn't, you know, but they were, you know, uh, caught, although seemingly well acclimated, you know, before and you know the, the year before, but you know it, you know it takes quite a bit you know for them to get adjusted and change, even though they're eating good and that sort of thing. So you know, I had a bunch of people wanting, particularly some of my black rats and stuff, and you know, black rats didn't go. You know, I was hoping my my, my Dixie County Gulf Amic rats would have went this year, but you know they didn't go. The female's feeding way more reliably this year than she was for me last year, and so I think I got a better chance. In fact, I was just throwing them in the. Throwing them in the fridge just a little while ago, the Dixie Gulf Amics, um just just before we got on here. So, um they're they're part of the 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 next, the, the early cycle, and the black rats will be going in here now over the weekend, beginning of the week, whatever. I'm trying to make sure I get far enough out from the last meals I fed some of them, and uh, before I throw them in. So I got some of those guys going in early that didn't go this year for me. So,
2: and do you ever rotate the pairings?
0: Depends. Um... Most of the time, I'm trying to think. Most of the time, I don't, I am kind of, I'm with a lot of these guys, I'm kind of set up where I'm going into just getting into multiple seasons with some of these guys. And I kind of am more relying on having multiple pairs of those guys. Um, and then being able to have generations mixed from there on out or being able to ha- let people get, mixed generation, you know, mixed, mixed pair, unrelated pairs and stuff rather than mixing them early on. Um, I may, and I will probably be doing that with my mangrove waters. Cause I, um, I have a bit of a fascination with, um, phenotypic inheritance with water snakes. Cause one thing most people haven't really worked with a lot of water snakes over the years. And there's a lot of variability in water snakes in general. I mean, there's some standards kind of in pattern and stuff, but, um, uh, especially with like mangrove waters, you've got, you've got a lot of variability in those wild populations down there in South Florida and particularly you have the red, the solid red mangroves. And then you've got all these varied pattern ones and you've got solid orangish looking ones and solid yellowish looking ones that are rare um, and a lot of variability in pattern. And uh, this year proved very well directly to me that uh, what I thought um, as far as uh, phenotypic inheritance was with those guys, I was straight up wrong. So um, I fortunately have a pretty decent little group at the moment and lots of babies for the future to raise up from these different litters that I've had um, that I will be doing. I will intentionally be swapping males and females up to see if the litter phenotypes, the offspring phenotypes change based on, on, on on the adult pairings. But that's kind of a, a long-term sort of, Plain. just interest for me more than anything else you know you know i thought you know and that pretty much had figured red to red on uh, mangroves was going to produce red babies because it's not a recessive trait yeah i bred red to red this year i got a half and a half litter so um I, i'm doing some you know i've got extra males laying around and i've got um you know a couple females now going and so i'll be playing around with those in the years to come and especially now that i'll have a lot of captive-born offspring that are in the long run, they're going to be a lot harder and uh, less worrisome about them doing well long term because mangroves are pretty sketchy and hard to get established. Um, some go a little bit better than others, but uh, failure rate's still pretty high on them. And so, uh, the captive-born babies are the are the key for down the road. So, I'll definitely be doing more. Um, uh, Obviously, uh, aside from g- genetic diversity with breeding but I'll be doing lots of monitoring of how I'm pairing and who I'm pairing and then mixing up to see if it's different, that sort of thing as as, as, as the, the next number of seasons go on, so to speak.
1: So I wasn't really aware of this, but you're seeing as far as the offspring, I mean, it could be like an Amazon tree boa type of situation where you put two together and it kind of throws a few different kinds of phenotypes. Or
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, with even with just the different bandits, I, I, I tend to see, um, I, I tend to see some variation and not dressed as drastic as with the mangroves, obviously, but I do see, you know, certain colors, um, go produce, reproduce stronger than others. Um, as far as, um, you know, uh, how the babies are looking in certain litters like I have certain ones where this this one red female banded I've bred her to two different males but boy those babies really strongly threw off of her um I didn't get as much influence off of the males either one of the males between the between the two litters it was a year between the two litters so um but they the the babies really were strongly influenced off of mom and the way she looks more so than the dads in either situation. Cause the first one is a melanistic, which granted he would have started out as more of a, a typical banded looking animal and progressed to be melanistic over, you know, a period of time, whether it be six months to a year or even longer, depending on that animal. And I don't know, cause he was mature when I got him. Um, but I got almost identical babies breeding, you know, a Brown and black banded animal this year to the same female. And I didn't get, uh, it wasn't much difference really, you know, between the two, she, she threw very strongly. Um, And I've got some babies from the first litter that I've raised up. That'll be going maybe one more year out, but uh, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's, again, it's one of those things where people haven't worked enough with Neurodia and particularly with the bandits where there's a lot of natural uh, phenotypic variation. And so I'm enjoying working with them just because of, you know it's a bit of an unexpected sort of thing every time i have a litter and see see what's produced and if i have an opportunity to you know mix up gene pools you know as far as different males and different females from the same locality then it's it, it helps out i mean most of the time i do have opportunities to to get more animals when i'm at a given spot but i don't like to click more than what i'm going to work with myself and don't like to get get more I tend to just with the waters most of the time I just get a pair from a particular spot and if I decide down the road I want more I can go back to that spot and cross my fingers and hope I can you know get some more you know if I when I want to add more blood in whereas the rat snakes most of the time I'm trying to get my hands on two pairs from the locality more more times than not um I don't know why I do that with waters and I think it's probably just because of the interest in waters and the interest in rats I I don't want to have so many water snake babies around you know, and it's still taking a little bit. It's amazing how many people want to buy baby water snakes. So it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I sell them better than I do red snakes
1: That's great. Well, you yeah. may be one of the only guys producing them. So I guess that helps.
0: Yeah, there's, there's some out There's So a few folks out there is a, there's a great girl down in South Alabama that, you know, does a great job. Jennifer French does a great job breeding water snakes. My, 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 my in state, uh, neurodeophile, um, you know, she's, she's a big, big nerodia fan and you'll see her a lot on the different like nerodia facebook pages and other wild snake pages out there just educating educating the world about them you know she does a great job and uh but uh you know it's 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 you know that supply and demand thing i'm not going to go just because i want to go and produce 50 liters of baby water snakes just because i have an interest in want to see what the babies you know come out as there's a realism of what time i have and to put into them space for the adults and getting rid of, you know, the offspring. I don't want to, you know, overdo it, you know, so just let it build up over time. And, you know, so far it's been going pretty good. You know, I'm almost sold out of everything that I've got, but I don't push it real hard either. You know, I tend to hold back again. Like I said, I hold back too much. So, well,
1: I was going to ask, especially with those things like the mangroves where you're seeing reds and bends and different types of things going on. Is it easy to pick your holdbacks or do they develop? Oh, a, no, a different
0: no, that's why I hold back too many. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I learned badly last year that I had too many people want them and I didn't hold back enough um, uh. because uh, I seem to have a problem with the locality where mine got all sourced out from um, with having darker or gray colored females. All my females are red. And so I'm trying to make a point to hold back babies that are that are the darker darker pattern. More just one because I do like, I like those other ones. Yeah, red's great. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's great. People love them. Solid red snake's the bomb. Don't, I mean, but there's not much to it. You know, it's a red snake. Yeah, there's slight variations. There's
2: not much to it. It's a red snake well, is
0: enough. I, I know. It, I agree. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love my two big red girls. And I love the red ones that I held back from last year. But I, I literally last year the only thing I have is an unrelated pair of rats. And I got a close buddy, my my rat snake breeding partner. He's got a pair that I think one is one is a darker patterned animal and one's a red. So um I'll end up getting those offspring back from him when, when he breeds them. He just wanted them to, to actually, I think he's gonna cohab them with his Deckert's rats or something like that, or his Everglades rats. I don't know which he's gonna do a mixed 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 enclosure um he has a little bit more display type cages um with some of his rat snakes and so he tends to um he's he's starting to mix a few things together and so he wanted some he wanted some some mangroves to mix in with one of the two and again i don't remember if it was his deckards or his everglades but so but uh yeah this year this year i'm going a little overboard and trying to keep too many back i think
1: <laughs> yeah now I mean, first of all, you should probably put up pictures on a Facebook group somewhere of you cohabbing animals and see what people say.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, it's it's it's, it's out there, and I don't I don't shy from it. I say it every time, you know. I, I, for me, it's way easier. It allows me to keep more more animals. You know, I say that you know because I can just keep pairs together, and I don't have to take the time to put them together to breed them and do all that sort of stuff. If I'm doing a good job, they're going to breed. You know, that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. And, you know, the only hang up is, is you, you know, you do have some headaches when it comes to feeding time with certain overly feisty individuals um, that are just eager to eat, particularly certain females, you know, and you, so you got to pay attention to them when you're feeding and stuff like that. And sometimes over eager ones, they get their food and then they get thrown in a bag (laughs) so that the females can eat, particularly the fem. I have a lot of locality that uh, with the rats that the females are quite shy compared to the males males will go and hammer down as much as i'll give them eagerly come right for them the females are like "Mm, give me 10 or 15 minutes let me leave this in front of me and just we'll we'll make it happen but if i do that when they're together the males just scoff them down so i usually give males something and uh and throw it in there or in a lot of cases with my guys because i'm uh, dare i use the word minimalist feeder but i'm not a i'm not a stuffer i don't keep them you know everybody on Heat strips with a high end range available to them. So I, I, I like my animals thin. I don't like my animals fat. Um, I like them to look like I would go catch them just in a good, healthy, you know, format. So um, most of the time, my males get fed every two or three times. Every three or four times, I feed the females more time. You know, most of the time, just because they don't need it, they're not doing anything. You know, the girls are doing a lot more physically, um, and so they need the nourishment, and the boys don't. So. A lot of times I'll just yank a male out, throw them in a bag, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes and give the females opportunities, you know, to to eat a few, you know, a few meals um, that way. You know, so but yeah, I, there's a plenty of people out there. I think cohabbing is the devil's work, you know, just I don't <laughs> understand why I really don't. I, you know, it's like, you know, we cohab li- lizards to breed them and we cohab turtles to breed them. You know, why not cohab snakes? It's, you know.
2: It it's kind of a point because
1: snakes are less intelligent. Therefore, you would think they would care less that someone else was around them. But we're really right, scared. yeah. I mean, I don't know.
2: It's. I think our black rats. Listen, those I are wouldn't devils. do it unless
1: I have enough resources to give
2: them something big. Our I black rats like, are such devils. I'd be very scared to put. Them. I mean, but that's towards us. I have no idea how they'd be toward each other. No, they'd be fine. But um... I just hate you. It is hate. Yeah. Are ours boys? I don't even know. No boy and a girl. Oh,
0: I didn't realize you got there. Yeah. I I wouldn't, you know, for me, I wouldn't do it any other way. It's just to me, it makes way more sense. It allows them to interact at their own leisure. I don't, it's not a forced interaction as far as trying to get them to breed and stuff like that. They're going to do it when they're going to do it. And I don't, you know, and if they don't, well, they don't, I I don't, you know, it's, it doesn't bother me, you know, sure. I want to this year. I had a lot of people begging me for baby black rats. You know, because my adults are particularly nice. They're particularly dark. You know, um, I was fortunate enough through uh, two buddies up in the Carolina areas to get some really nice locality animals, and uh, you know, so everybody was wanting some, and you know, didn't happen. So that's the way it goes. You know, but it'll happen. It'll happen when it's meant to happen, and it'll start going steady after that. So you know, but that's that's the deal with you know when you're dealing when you're working with you know, fresh stock and and getting new lines, you know, new localities and lines established with fresh blood is, you know, there's, it takes time. It's not going to just happen, you know, as soon as you raise up an animal big enough and that corn snake breeds at 18 inches, you know, it's, it's it doesn't work like that with, when you're, you know, working with, with, with fresh animals, you know, it's it's a little more time consuming and that's fine for me.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's anything to, uh, the more I pay attention to it, as far as black rats go. Like growing up finding black rats, um, when people post pictures of them finding black rats in the wild, I feel like mm-hmm. they're always nicer specimens than what we have in captivity.
3: Like, I,
0: you know, sure. Black animals
1: it, in comparison to the ones that I've seen in the wild. For some reason, you would think you would pick those animals immediately. And it'd be.
0: Yeah, I, it, and it's one reason why, like for me, I didn't I, I, I didn't get my I didn't get black rats for a long time because. I was just too picky about what I wanted, you know. Uh, I, I want really, really dark animals because ultimately that's what other people are going to want. And so if I'm going to work with them and ultimately I have offspring, I'm going to have to have some, especially because I'm not working with the newest morph or whatever, you know, that is the hottest thing on the market. You know, I'm working with black rat snake. You know, working with the yellow rat snake. I'm working with you know these things that everybody has in their backyards in different parts of the country. You know, they need. I want them to be kind of the quintessential. Examples of them, and so it's not as much as that I'm necessarily selecting for them, but I'm just choosing localities where those particular animals are the most token examples of of their of their of rep- representatives of their. And I can't even say species now because with taxonomy changes, it's all in, it's
1: all the same It's all shit, the paddle man.
0: fan. It's all man. It's shit in the paddle fan. It's all it is, man. Um, but yeah, it's it, so it, it's just some of my philosophy is, is it comes down from my, my good friend, Bill, who it's, I, he and I work on majority of the rat snake projects together. Um, he's my folks age and uh, his kind of rat snake collection um, is based off of the 1958, I think it is Peterson's field guide of what represented the rat snakes at that time. And so his collection kind of represents that with obviously more current additions is things like Sloinsky rats have come in to, 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 recognition, whereas, you know, it may have been something he would have worked with anyways, knowing that that was an integrated zone sort of thing, but knowing that it's, you know, our newest rat snake species, sort of, considering all the rearranging, there's others, obviously now, but, um, you know, uh, you know, we tend to work with token examples in different parts of the range you know things like great plains rat snakes have a huge range up the whole middle of the country there you know but you know we're working with the Intermontanes, you know out of colorado and we're working with alpines um from from over there in west texas and i'd kind of like to get some south texas scrub thorns one day but you know it's not even know somebody down there but it's a long ways away to get down there so you know it's Not something that's, that's, that's happened so far. One of these days it will, you know, but just, you know, try to look to get specimens from solid token localities, you know, that were, you know, they're good examples of certain areas. It's like, it's like yellow rats. I've got all these localities of yellow rats all up through Florida now and uh you know and they all vary whether it's from the keys all the way up to you know uh my my, my youthful county of Seminole county along st john's um you know they all vary and you know and everybody has, has their own likes and dislikes you know but depending on what part of the state of florida or where they saw yellow rat snakes for the first time but i spent a bunch of years in the past couple of years trying to turn up a place and turn up areas to find some yellow rats from back home and uh finally found a place this year and I've added a nice little group of token examples of yellow rats of what i consider yellow rats and actually my buddy considers to be yellow rats you know textbook yellow rats and so now and fortunately one of the females was gravid that i caught and so i've got some babies that just hatched out from those that were splitting and raising up for because the male would have been unrelated to any of my others too and, and i think i ultimately caught i think five or six animals and just kept a trio for now and uh, with these babies, is someone related blood for the other pair um, to to go with for down the road, so we've got some good blood for you know a good few generations without needing to go and grab any others you know um, from the same spot. We don't have to to bother the wild gene pool. We've got a got enough diversification for for you know You're
2: two or three generations successful. at least. Harper. I feel like but, I, yeah. I, I should have counted, like, how many things, like, you find so much. He's also in Florida, well, it,
0: which is pretty good. Yeah, point. well. I mean, what he's doing. No. But, friend, yeah, friend, I mean, friend, uh, yeah, it's, but you'd be surprised, though, because the urban sprawl is so much in Florida, it's actually really hard to herp down there in certain areas, at least where I grew up in, in the north, north side of Orlando areas. It's just people everywhere. So you have to, you have to find these little little wooded areas that are left and, and go hit them at the right times of the year. And it's no different than anything else. I think, you know, you just have to, you have to learn, learn your animals, learn their niche habitats and and, and put the time in really is what it comes down to more than anything. You know, it's just, you know, as with the, any others i mean most of my time in the field actually is spent salamander hunting it's i only go snake hunting when i'm looking when i want something in particular to work with and then i'll go to target that area i mean we look for everything while we're there but you know i will go target something in particular that i want to find and uh, now but most of the time i i spend I, I spend it in the hills i spend it in the hills flipping flipping logs take pictures of salamanders <laughs> so bring
1: us through a little bit since you're hitting on it like the process of bringing in new stock and kind of are there uh, permits in place what do you have to do Bring it, it depends
0: on that. it depends on where you're at every every state is different you know and here in alabama you know most of our our, our public lands are all all uh, off limits you know whether it be a national forest or otherwise in other states that's not the case other states certain states you know you have to have a fishing license uh other states you have to have hunting licenses and reptile stamps and you know it varies you know, all over the country, depending on, on, on what, you know, the different laws are Uh, my buddy maintains fishing licenses and hunting licenses in multiple States around this country and keeps them up regardless of whether he goes because he expects to maybe go back at some point so that he always has that legal voucher of, of having, you know, gotten a particular species, you know, from somewhere, whether it's Arizona's needing hunting license or Texas or whatever, you know, you got to have certain permits and stuff in certain areas. In other states, like in Florida, you, they, they don't have much regulation at all in that, as long as it's not one of the you know uh, protected species. You know, and here in Alabama, that we have certain species that are protected. You know, that you just can't have. Period. And then you have certain areas, you know, certain public lands and and the forests and stuff um, that are all off limits too. So. Um, you know, I, like in state, I think the only thing I work with is a couple banded waters. I can catch I've caught from some creeks down by my friend's house in the south part of the state, and some rat snakes I caught in my own backyard. You know, I don't I don't I don't work with much else here. But most of, and most of it's just because my interest in Florida and the diversity of species and phenotypes in Florida is so high that you know my my interest tends to go down there because from the bottom to the top of the state you have a lot of variation in water snakes, rat snakes, king snakes, and all the above. You know. Everything, but I guess maybe ribbon snakes don't vary too much. But you know, a lot of species do vary quite drastically across snakes. We're at snakes being what the prime one, um, and king snakes. So um, that tends to be a a great place to go down and 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 uh, go home and visit, meet up with friends, whatever the case may be, and go have a good time out in the field and add some fresh blood if if, if I'm fortunate enough to. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Okay, this might be a newbie question, but our friend Dallas got some um, black rat stinks recently. And when he posted about them on Facebook, he's put calico morph black rat stinks, but he put morph in quotations. And I've been meaning to ask you that why would he put morph in quotations with calico black rat stinks? Mm
3: hmm.
2: Oh, that's kind of weird. I know if that was like a thing people do. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know if it like was never... actually considered a morph <laughs> yeah. or something.
1: Well, I thought maybe it would be like one of those bubblegum rat things, you know, the yellow rat yeah. and black. It's well, all Eastern's so up we'll it's think... all the same, so who
0: cares. <laughs> yeah. But... yeah, well actually but like the calicos, the calicos technically aren't a black rat.
2: Maybe They're a midland they rat. did
0: that. They came out they came out of Jefferson I think it's Jefferson County in Kentucky. And the local stock in that area are not black at all. So it's, you know, it goes back to the new revisions of taxonomy and stuff where Easterns are in the East Coast, Midlands in the middle, and Westerns are now absolutely on the West that, you know, what was one thing is not necessarily what it is now. And regardless of what you're accepting or not accepting on it, irrelevantly, a black rat from Pennsylvania and a calico rat from Kentucky, they're not the same thing, period. They don't look the same as a wild animal, as a normal wild animal. animals would never have bred naturally across those different areas. So, you know, that's one thing with a lot of the morphs and stuff is particularly, and you see that with the black rat morphs, is black rats used to be considered everywhere from Nebraska and Missouri and everywhere over that way and came all the way across the northern portion, you know, across the upper Midwest and the East Coast. And now there's three separate species within that color designation, even if a lot of them, particularly up the middle here, in, in in the midland range you get up in the Kentucky and stuff and those most of those animals unless you're up near the Appalachians they're not really black at all they're just a darker gray rat snake on the whole but you know it's I'm sure it'll all change in 10 years anyway so' really confusing
1: is, is part of find a way to
0: you do locality is because so, some of that that it has them. really reinforced it for me I mean some of it is just the natural variation from the different regions and spots where these different animals come because, you know, a yellow rat snake in the county I grew up with in, in Seminole County in Florida is quite a different animal than if you go over to, let's say, Hernando County over on the West Coast. Those are very different looking yellow rats where you go down near Okeechobee and get into the range of what, you know, was an Everglades rat. You know, those animals vary a lot even in that immediate area. So these, these animals all vary across, across the range, but yeah, uh, locality stuff has kind of been reinforced a little bit with taxonomy changes because if i'm working with animals from a particular county or particular spot or particular river or whatever it's not going to change they can change the taxonomy all they want you know but it's not going to they it may change what the taxonomy name is for that particular animal but it's not changing that animal it's i i don't suddenly have a mud you know and and like the white oak gray rat snakes, the coastal gray rat snakes from the Northern Gulf Coast is a perfectly good example. You have some animals that look really similar all the way, you know, whether you're in from Baldwin County on the, on the east side of the Mobile Bay, all the way over to like Lake Butler, Florida, you've got a huge range of animals that have a pretty similar look to them. Granted, there's a little difference to the east than there is to the west on the grand scheme of things. But that's now divided as two separate species down the middle at the Apalachicola River. And so I work with two different white oak rat snakes now because there's technically two species. So I have some from one side and I have some from from the other side, you know, and, and looking at them, I mean, you do see differences. There's, But they all vary a lot too, because you can find ones that are much darker in an area where usually they're way light and you find other ones way light in an area that are mediocrely dark in the wild. So, you know, it's, you know, but either way, you know, I've got my Santa Rosa. A lot of people have some of my baby Santa Rosa white oaks and you know, I was fortunate enough to get two pairs of animals from a buddy's property of animals that come into his rat room. You know, and he picked a few up here and there, and and I ended up getting two unrelated wild caught pairs. You know, from him at different ages at the time, but uh, you know, um, you know, off the same same piece of property. So you know, it's that sort of thing that you know they can change. They can change it again and change it back or do whatever they want. But it's you know, I know exactly where they came from. So you know, it's it's not an animal from Liberty County or, or Taylor County or somewhere farther, farther East, you know, it's same little spot, you know, in, in in Santa Rosa County. So that's kind of the, the nomenclature changes have, have kind of reinforced why I do. And the, and the fox snakes are the same sort of thing. It's, that's angered a lot of people the way those kind of got divided up and clumped together. And so sticking with, you know, locality animals will help maintain those, changes and revisions over the years and won't won't be affected by it, I guess maybe would be the right way to call it. Yeah, because you end up just by
1: default, things that you thought were pure end up being not pure. Exactly. And then
0: you're like, you can't make it pure again. Right, you can't. And and for a lot of people, they don't care. They just want their pet snakes. They want to enjoy them. They don't care where they came from. They don't care any of that. And that's fine and dandy. I got nothing against that at all. But, you know, I, I tend to you know i've I've really grown appreciative of doing you know spending time in the field as much as i can and you know seeing these guys in their natural form and because of the of the morph market that's out there and and everybody's you know draw to the to aberrant looking animals and making hybrids and whatever else and and really and back in the old days of early on in the situation they uh you know people just bred whatever they could that looked similar so to speak and uh a lot of genetics are really iffy nowadays from some of those old bloodlines of, of various stuff. And so, you know, you know, there's, there was few people that really paid attention to making sure their animals came from similar areas, you know. And so there's a lot of uh, technically mutts based on current taxonomy out there, whether it be morphs or not even morphs in some cases.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd probably be hard pressed to find any type of mutation of corn snake that's pure. Whether or not people oh, want yeah. to say that they're pure or not, there's down There's the line. There's,
0: uh, there's only one that I could say at this moment that would be pure, and that would be Howie Sherman's Red Zepps because he had a single albino animal pop up, never out of a pair, never happened in any of the other litters, and. His animals were all collected on his stock was all collected on the OKT Hunt Club grounds by himself. So this single albino animal popped up naturally. Never happened again in successive litters or previous litters. So his red zeppelin, at least if you get it through him or one of his immediate, you know, crowd of of, of dedicated folks, you're gonna get uh, a a true locality red rat snake in a morph form or if you get some devil's garden anathoristics from down in South Florida, you know, they still exist in a fairly reasonable number in the population down there. And in fact, I knew somebody just a year or so ago, got a female and, you know, percentage of the offspring were all anery. So, wow. it, but it's hard in the grand scheme of things. You're still dealing with locality guys on the grand, on the whole. I mean, we'll be, my buddy and I will be in the coming years introducing in an albino there will be a morph in a technicality but it'll be a locality morph like the way that the moon shines are you know horry county greenish rats um we'll be introducing an, uh, an albino hopefully if we're successful and everything breeds and does what it's supposed to we'll be introducing a new albino in a few years and you know He kind of wasn't going to do it, didn't want to do it because it's an albino. And I was kind of hesitant at the same time, but it's like our favorite locality of rat snake. And we can offer a lot of genetic diversity as years come um, with it down the road and not just line breed the hell out of it. And, you know, just to produce a bunch of albinos, um, we can, we can continue to infuse fresh blood in the line and not overproduce them and, you know. Try to do it. So hopefully, in the years to come, we'll have some some a melanistic Gulf Hammock rat snakes um, wow. in the market. But uh, it's it's project very early in the works. Very now early was in the that works was that a wild caught animal? Yeah, or yeah, hop out of a yeah. Couch? No, it's wild caught. wild caught uh, yearling male. Uh, my buddy cruised it um, this past uh, December on a warm day. Um, it's he passes through there in the winter times going to December, visit his family when no one yeah. else
1: would even be looking,
0: <laughs> right? And that's usually when he passes through, and he can you know, usually, you know, uh, pick up a, a random mail um, to add into the gene pool um, every every year or two um, on those warm days. And uh, and uh, he, in fact, he he didn't even he he refused to even tell me what he found. Um, until I came up the next visit. So I was like in this this the hanging situation for like three or four months when he first told me about it. He didn't tell me about it for like two months, and then he told me about it, and then I had like three months before I got up to visit him. Um, and he wouldn't tell me what it was until I saw it. I mean, he just told me he found something really cool down in Levy County, and. I thought maybe he just cruised to King or something. Cause you don't come across Kings in Levy County very often without being in just the right spot at the right time of the year and that sort of thing. But no, that, that wasn't it. And um, a couple months later, I was out cruising on the same road, just on purpose, knowing that I certainly wasn't going to even see another rat snake on that, you know, stretch of road. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's in the same area where he's always cruised before and um, for pushing 40 years. And, uh, first time he's ever come across, you know, uh, an albino or anything like that. And he's, he always said he was never even going to tell anybody, but, you know, he showed me and told me, it took me, gosh, uh, six more months before I could get him to take a picture of it. And so, uh, now we got a picture of it and, uh, it's doing well. We think it'll be big enough, uh, to breed a female this next, this coming spring. So, uh we'll see what happens. And then we got to raise up babies and prove it out (laughs) three years from then. So, well, you know, long time in the works, long time in the works, but uh, a new, new, new locality morph like the, like the moonshine. So I just, I need to come up with a cool name for them like moonshine. I don't know if I'm (laughs) going to make that, make that, make that work, but it it probably would be, it'd be good. You know, The, the guys up in Kentucky came up with their calicos and lemons and stuff and guys in Carolinas came up with their came up with their moonshine, so I guess I need to come up with came up with come up with something for this locality that's not even legit subspecies anymore. So we'll we'll figure something up and by the time I can even have any sort of heads available or anything.
1: Yeah. I mean but that's that's a super cool project and it's something that's obviously extremely unique to you. And I mean <laughs> a lifetime yeah. animal clearly. Yeah, yeah,
0: it is. It is. And and the cool thing about that area um is because it's a mixing zone with grays and yellows you have a lot of variation from animal to animal there um depending on and it doesn't necessarily as much have to do with the part of the county that you find them in. it has to do with the niche habitat that you find them in um whether you're down in the down in the low wet river forests or you're up in the longleaf forests or even up in the sandhill areas um you know, there's a lot of areas uh, within Levy County and the neighboring counties of Dixie and, and, and Citrus um, that force a lot of variation, survival variation, phenotypically in the rat snakes. And so, you know, you tend to see a lot of variation in the Gulf Hammock rat snake, even just from within Levy County. And we have examples that are, I've got a really nice hypotype, although it's not necessarily a recessive hypotype, but a naturally hypo looking animal that came that he had caught um, gosh, quite a few years ago now, gosh, probably pushing 10 years ago as a baby and raised it up and he bred it once and now I have it, um, that it's it's an almost white animal with red blotches and a little H-connecting pattern, not as much as, um, but it wasn't found down in the riverine forests um, where we normally would, would would look for our stock to get those token, great motley, earth tone gold hammock rat snakes. It's, it was from a little, little drier area. Um, and so as a result, it doesn't quite have the same motley pattern and but it's still a really cool animal and uh and i'm gonna do a breeding with him he he was bred once in 15. i have him now and i'm going to breed him back to one of his daughters I'm breeding his other daughter to the other, do- the other his other daughter to a, a wild caught male to continue to bring in uh some fresh blood in uh, but i want to see how, how how the color com- comes along he bred it initially this really light animal to a really dark classic animal to try to see if he could get the, if the contrasting colors, if he could get the heavy pattern with the light background didn't really work out like that. You know, they're just kind of typically a little bit dirty looking females, but still look nice. They're just not like deep classic animals like some of the other stockies produced over the years. And that I've got um, raising up now, but uh, you know, it's all just fun and games, you know? Trying not to naturally, you know, select selectively breed, but at the same time, that's all we do, anyways. It's just, you know, but trying to constantly infuse blood when we can and, and introduce fresh blood. I think that was the main reason he was willing to breed this this albino um, animal it was because it was a male, so it would be good ge- fresh. It'd be fresh genetics into the gene pool. That's to have, the way we tend to do it is um, using males and bringing fresh males into the in into a breeding. Population because you get that extra extra chromosome in there. And so you get fresh blood that way and you just keep your female lines like they are.
2: It's hard not to just selectively breed because it's like we have this vision in Absolutely. our head of
0: like what it could be. And, you
2: know, sure. like,
0: I mean, that's all part of it. You know, I mean, as much as I say I breed locality and I, you know, try to breed as natural as I can, I'm still holding back animals for this reason or that reason, you know, because it's pretty. And at the same time, I tend to, like with my water snakes, I'll, right off i I hold back the ugliest ones because i don't necessarily know what they're going to mature like you know and so i want to see how they're going to mature you know how different they're going to mature than these gaudy bright red or bright orange looking animals you know i want to i want to see what that dark ugly looking thing is going to look like (laughs) in a year or two years down the road and honestly i get to the i'm getting the point now where i'm actually liking what those babies look like more so than the others because i got less of them you know there's there's you know so it just it's the, the the variability i mean it's what's in the wild anyways you go and you know that the, the one night we were down in south florida and, and we're cruising um this past february i mean gosh i must have flipped i don't know gosh 20 plus water snakes off the road and uh sorry i had to plug my phone in there it's okay this thing definitely definitely eating batteries i'm already down to 15 percent. so well um, yeah Ate it, ate it hard. But, um, you know, I, I saw at least 20 animals, if not more than that, in a, in a short window of time crossing the road. Every time we'd stop for one, we'd literally find three or four of them right in that immediate area on the edge of the road and stuff like that. And So, yeah, I absolutely selected for what I wanted, but I was seeing animals in that area that were a higher prevalence to yellow. and Yellow is not something I usually see often in a lot of water snake, Florida water snake populations or even southern banded populations it's not one i see so the pair that i I kept were both of high yellow prevalence to their pattern and granted i saw solid black ones and i saw dark banded ones i saw all sorts of colors but i was like yeah those yellows and i I try to think a little bit too of the marketability of it Mm -hmm. whether it's marketability or just being able to find interest in offspring when it comes down to it because i can't keep i I can't keep i can't keep everything um you know so i've got to make sure that i've got Something that other people are gonna want to have, you know what I mean. So, so if I can have some babies that are gonna be on the yellower side, well, it's gonna draw some interest to them. I can hopefully find find uh find people interested in having some of those offspring when I do have
3: them. That's yeah, I
1: mean. at the at the end of the day, you need snakes that people are gonna like, even no matter how right. stringent you know you try to be with it and right. how particular you try to be. I mean it matters at the end of the
0: day it does it does matter because i mean you could you know otherwise you just got to stop and i mean having worked in the zoo field we we i, I had to deal with that kind of thing all the time because there's so many regulations from that particular facility or the governing bodies within the zoo profession that you know you breed stuff but you can only surplus to certain entities and institutions and that sort of thing and so you end up having to 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 stop breeding certain things and and only selectively breed certain things because of opportunities to surplus off animals um just because of everybody's rules and regulations um in doing so and so it forces you to to kind of take stock and realize that like yeah i may want to work with them like doing basilisks i may want to go have a bunch of breeding groups of basilisks but i don't know necessarily that i'm going to find homes for 50 or 60 baby basilisks over Mm -hmm. the course of a year i might be able to i don't know i mean i'm sure i could always find a Dealer to wholesale stuff off to, but I tend to I tend to prefer to have stuff go to people directly if I can, you know, make that happen. I haven't gone that route in a long, long time. Um, you know, I prefer to do things the way I do it right now, with dealing with people with, you know, mutual interests in, in certain types of animals and making sure that they're going to go to these people. You know that. Uh, you know, some people do flip them. I see some of my babies go to other people, and I usually keep track of where they go. But you know, I prefer to let them go. To, you know, have stuff go directly to the people that are going to work with them. And so far, that's been that's been an option so far for me. So um, when that doesn't become an option, well, we'll reevaluate things at that time.
1: Right? Yeah. It's it's sometimes you can get yourself in the situation to where you know either money needs to come in or animals need right. to go out. There's space constraints. Right. You know, whatever's going Absolutely. on at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, you know, rodents are expensive, man, and caging is expensive. I mean, I take a lot of good philosophies from some folks that I've got to know in years past of taking a very economical approach to husbandry. You know, a lot of folks out there are very much the opposite of that and feel that, you know, we need to spend as much money and do all that we can for these guys that we're keeping and taking care of. Um, And, But when it comes down to it, you know, economics is what it is. You know, the great guy, the main guy I'm referring to, uh, who's no longer with us anymore, is uh, Bert Langerwarf, Agama International. He was uh, from the Netherlands, and he had moved here to the States, and actually had settled here in Alabama, and uh, developed the largest lizard breeding farm in the world. Um, I actually was in correspondence with him when I was still in high school um, in in Florida, but, uh, getting to visit him multiple times over the years while he was still alive and see how he did things and how he did things from a making a living, doing it perspective really allowed me to change perspectives as to how and why I do things and my approach to doing things it allowed me to do things very in a very economical manner um, while I was in the zoo field and, 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 and puts me in a position that makes economically thrifty decisions on husbandry for myself as well as I, I i try to do as much as i can in manners that don't cost much don't cost any you know and that sort of approach because in, in the long run it allows me to do it better do it less stressfully and enjoy it more if you know i i can go buy a 20 dollars, you know corn snake or something and, and keep it as a pet and spend 500 dollars on it, an enclosure and all this stuff and it's great there's nothing wrong with it but at the same time i could take that five hundred dollars and do a whole lot more with it whether it be set up a rodent breeding you know rack system or who knows what i mean there's a million things you could do pay electric bill for the house in general you know all those things all these things come into come into realistic perspective when you keep more than one or two pet animals and those one or two pet animals are around because guys like me and these other guys out there breed a bunch of stuff you know we do it because we enjoy it well most of us do others do it do do it much more from a business perspective and i've kept things in the past for those reasons and i don't anymore because i didn't enjoy doing it for those reasons uh, I, I did bearded dragons for a number of years just because i considered them marketable and i could work with something i enjoyed work you know could enjoy working with because i love lizards um but i hated being in that competitive market of everybody's got bearded dragons and you don't have the newest morph and you know and it just gets to be a Vicious cycle that I didn't like being in, so I decided once I uh, got in with the social media thing and a few other and a few friends that I could find ways to get in touch with people and find people that liked the same things I did, and I didn't have to rely on going to shows nearby to find, you know, the three people that may talk to me with what stupid water snakes I have, you know, because ultimately if I go to a reptile show here in my state, that's pretty much all I'm going to get out of the situation, you know, if I have some 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 my adult maybe red mangroves i may get some interest in you know a few of the babies you know but at the same time some of those people are going to be like i'm not spending that on a water snake you know um how so are they you know uh, my mangroves i have this year i'm doing 100 a piece and it goes down depending on how many you buy i was female heavy so i get pretty good deals if you're doing trios but uh last year i was doing i think one and a quarter for female reds but you know they're hard to establish they don't establish well um I, a number of them that I had gotten uh, through a friend from his, his field research work um, that they were his students were doing some some captive studying on to figure out how things didn't want to return back to the wild. I mean, I had a gosh, God, at least a 30, 40% mortality rate getting those guys established. Oh. They'd already had them, they'd already had them for gosh, they'd already had them for almost two months. Um, it's just you know some snakes don't adapt as well to captivity and you and I see that with other species of water snakes and why I don't work with some species of water snakes because they just don't they don't do as well at least under the conditions that I'm I'm able to offer I, I've thrown my hands up on northern water snakes but I can do really well with midlands and that's just a different subspecies from a different part of the country um, now you know whatever the re- whatever the reasons are I don't know but I you know I. I try it on a couple of species and I throw my hands up and go, just not meant to, not meant for me. You know, I, I can't offer them what makes them happy within my husbandry availability here in Alabama.
1: Now, are you at the point where you have F2s and F3s? And have um, you seen which, with, better... With a lot of my rat
0: snakes, yes, only because of friends, um, getting stocks from them. With the water snakes, no. I have got some F1s now that... Uh, uh, if I was forcing them, they would be going this next spring. If I was really stuffing them, I could have them to that point, but they're not at that point because I'm not willing to push them. Maybe some of the males, and I'm actually considering, in the case of one pair, maybe letting this one male try to breed, breed a female, an older female, maybe. Um, mostly just because I, I want to go back to I, I haven't been able to procure a male. Um, fortunately, I tend to choose with my water snakes going hunting for them at certain times of the year so that uh, I stand good chances of the females already being gravid and getting some free genetics out of the situation. Um, and so I've got a number of animals that were wild-born, wild-bred F1s that I've been raising up now and others that were captives at the same, you know, from the same years, two or three years ago. They're getting into that neighborhood now. Um, but because I slow-grow stuff and just don't want fat animals and try to raise them up a little more naturally, Uh weight wise and stuff, uh, I'm, I'm getting into that neighborhood now over the next year, next two, one to three years, I will really be hitting hitting those those multiple generations. Some people want to see it because mostly I just feed because I do so much rodents. They want to see me be, see those those multiple generations uh, with the water snakes. Um, but I can tell you most of my water snakes, once they're on rodents, they won't even take fish from me. They, they, they just want those rodents. I think they realize that I think the animals almost know Metabolically, that those those rodents have more to them, and I don't have to feed them as often because they're they have, you know, they're much more packed with nutrition and and fat and stuff, and I just don't have to try to constantly feed these water snakes like they would normally eat almost on a daily basis, you know, in the wild, so to speak.
1: So now, do you think that with the mangroves in particular, do you feel that you will get more viability as far as you know a better survival rate? As oh, the
0: captive. the captive-born babies, period, and the ones I got last year, the, the babies that I had born last year were wild bred. I, I acquired the animals um, well, they were from a guy. My original two pairs um, from a guy in Florida um, as fresh-collected animals, and I had not done that in 20 years. But it was like I don't know if I'm ever going to get my hands and get a chance to do this. So I, I bit the bullet. I spent the money. Bordering on completely regretting it the entire time, um, just because I don't like going that route to acquire my animals. But uh, it, it was a calculated move that worked out well. Both females were very early gravid at that time, and I got a nice little small, nice small clutch, which is really all mangroves ever have. Is small clutches um, out of each of them gave me some nice, super hardy babies. Um, that's the great thing about uh, mangroves is the babies are super; they're they're rock solid, um, just like a abandoned water snake is. Um, as far as once they're feeding, they're, you know, much better um, than dealing with the adults. Most of my adults now, I've had them now long enough that they're, um, they're pretty good. I still have two females that I still feel a little sketchy about, you know, as far as long-term survivability, but, you know, each month passes, I feel a little bit better about them, you know, being around for many years to, to continue to produce some F1 babies for me, but, you know, it's, yeah, I've, I've had banded waters that didn't, Didn't acclimate well and and didn't do well Um, more times than not it's it's more mature animals and so i've tried to as much as i can avoid um getting more mature animals when the opportunity um, exists because they don't acclimate as well younger animals acclimate well and i do the same thing with rat snakes when i have the preferences i try to get younger animals if i have if i'm in that position too because they just they're just more adaptable a little easier to to, to get established and, and thrive and, and become breeding animals down the road. So mm-hmm. that tends to be uh, my preference when I can.
2: I feel like in three years, like if we talked, obviously not saying we're going to wait three years to talk to him again, but if in <laughs> three years we talk to him again, it's going to be a completely different conversation. Like I feel like you talk oh, hey, you know what? The I hope so. are, like Doing the same thing, but he has so many like <laughs> things lined up. Yeah, yeah, like things through, are just, yeah. it seems like your like gears You're just... on the ground floor of oh, so yeah. many different products. Like I crazy. have a lot of
0: stuff that I've just been raising up that are from my buddy's efforts and stuff. Um, some of the offspring I, 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 I surplus, particularly some of the baby rat snakes and stuff I have now are stuff that he's produced. Either I hatched off the babies or as soon as they hatch off, I have them. He's older, he's retired. He doesn't like messing with starting a whole bunch of babies. He doesn't like having to pedal off the offspring it doesn't doesn't even interest him he wants a couple of babies he wants to hang on to for down the road and sometimes it's not even that he just asks me to hold back a couple of babies and i give them back to him in six months or a year once they're going well um he just doesn't like dealing with it so a lot of the babies um when i get clutches from him i'm actually holding back a portion of those clutches so that i have backups for his stuff and i can get to work with some of those localities uh, myself but i've got a lot of stuff right now for the past three or four years that i'm still raising up and and working with it um or from his collecting efforts over the years that um, we still don't have uh, uh, reproducing at the moment, or because like he's lost single animals or something like the intermontanes right now we have no mature females right now. Um, Deckert's the, the the F2 female died two years ago, so we haven't been producing any, and hopefully this next year will finally be a year we are producing locality Deckert's again. Um, Baird's I've been holding back bears to raise up some of my own and been waiting for females most particularly and had to wait for him to have a female raise up from some of the male siblings that I've got of his so it's you know a lot of it's a process of you know being patient Emery's rats I've got some nice Alpine Emery's rats too that are um, yeah I've been raising up and waiting to actually have my own stock of and they have little small three or four clutch litters so any of the babies that he ends up producing from his pair, I just end up keeping them all, I don't get rid of them. So, um, you know, one of these days, some of these cool localities will become more available to people that actually care about that kind sort of thing. Right.
2: So how many snakes do you have in your collection currently?
0: Like I count them. <laughs> counting, counting, don't count, not counting snakes is straight up deniability, okay? I, I don't want to know, I don't care to know. Uh, uh buddy bill and i kind of of have a little uh uh, i I don't even i don't know uh what 200 maybe i don't know i mean it depends on the time of the year i got babies coming out i got babies all over the place in there right now so you know i mean i met up with him halfway between here and where he lives a month five weeks ago and i mean i had five clutches of babies you know on a dime instantly you know Mm. so that are none of them were started well one clutch was started the fox snakes were ah, started, nice. but yellow rats, Everglades, all these, none of them are started. Some of them are, you know, freshly hatched. Some of them were just done for a shed. So it's like, you know, on top of the five and six, seven water snake litters and the multiple rat snake litters that I'm hatching out, you know, I got bins full of baby snakes that I got to get started out of his stuff, you know, and so it's, it's a lot of work and I've got a lot of stuff that I don't even breed. I've got a lot of just single animals that aren't paired up that I just don't want to get rid of, you know? It's or I haven't scrounged up a mate for from the same area, you know, unsuccessful field trips and that sort of thing. Um, You know, I mean, I've got a fox snake that from one that he uh, that Bill had given me that's, gosh, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, but we don't know the locality on it. We have a guess of what it is based on what it looks like and where animals would have been coming from at the time. But it's, you know, it's like an F1 animal that's probably from Indiana, but we don't know for sure. So it's a pet.
1: I just have Yeah, that's a dangerous you know, assumption got, to make when you're playing the right, game that you play.
0: Right. 20 years ago, sure, it'd bred to Brad's, whatever I had. Or, you know, and anybody else would have. And plenty of people would now. But, you know, he's just living his life out, you know. I don't even cool him anymore. I just, you know, he just stays in there. He's got his spot. He gets his mice, a his mice, couple mice every few weeks. And, you know, don't, I don't don't keep them big and fat he doesn't need to he doesn't do anything you know and i've got a handful of other animals just like that i've been raising up male bears rats for a couple of years now and haven't had a female now i've got a couple of babies but those two fellows have been sitting around for years at various rat red rat localities you know that i don't have mates for still but you know just a bunch of freeloaders doing their thing and <laughs> and you know, know breeders perspective taking up space and you know and, and rodent funds but you know I work with them because I enjoy them. So you know, that's scheme, where it's... I get.
1: I always get the one male always fucks me over. It's different if you have a female lying around, but it's the oh, one yeah. male. Then you're like, I oh, want to yeah. spend the four years or three years on a female, oh, depending. Like, and you yeah. just never I've get a female. So, ever.
0: I've got so many males laying around that you know, I, I that I don't have mates for, and that I don't want to get rid of because I, I might get a mate for it. I might find one, or I can find somebody. You know, like I was fortunate enough when we went down to South Florida is caught a, a a young of the year little South Dade red rat snake you know classic one hunting geckos on a bridge on the overpass and uh, you know I'm like oh, there's plenty of them out there but I really want them and I found a guy that caught two gravid females from two different areas within the county one of them was on the same road that that, that this little male was caught on and uh, so I'm just waiting for his eggs to hatch and I'll be able to get ones and I could have gotten some from the other clutch that was from 20 miles north, but I want the ones from the same road, you know, you know, I want them from right in the same area. So I'll get a couple of babies to raise up, to go with him. And, um, I've got another locality. I've got a male rats, red rat from up in the mountains in North Carolina, um, that my buddy, um, cruised up last summer, uh, last fall for me. And, uh, I've been hanging on to it and it's from two counties over from where I already have stock from that a buddy had established some some great um, animals um, in the South Mountain Cleveland County area uh, but this this population is really isolated off within a mountain range a little sand hills locality um, that he's doing some work in and uh, he just cruised it looks like um, I'll, I'll know for sure in a week, next week um, it looks like he cruised a little baby female for me so I'm hoping to establish a new new locality of, of montane red rat snakes in the years to come um, so we'll see what happens awesome. you know but uh, you know always looking always always working on those those little things i've still got at several other localities of rat snakes particular that i really want to get my hands on but it's just a matter of making field trips happen and then ultimately then being productive at the same time mm-hmm.
2: so do you have empty tubs always ready to go with the amount of herping you do uh,
0: no i do a lot of honestly this year i haven't herped a lot no most of my herping honestly isn't collecting oriented most of my herping is going out with friends and and salamander hunting more times than not and so it's just out taking pictures and having a good time in the woods you know um this year the few trips i uh, do to work i I didn't get out as much pretty much haven't gotten out locally um almost at all this year but a few focal trips trips this year um to different areas like south florida and of florida a couple times and big bend area particularly Dixie-Levy County areas just love that area um, and then back home visiting folks that herped pretty hard while I was down there um, uh, over short w- weekends and uh, so I may- try to make those little opportunities um, as productive as possible um, when I get those chances to go and I'll be going herping next week but I don't know most of it will be salamander hunting up in the Appalachians um, uh, and the one night when I'll go over to North Carolina, uh, to meet my other buddy over there. We'll probably do a little cruising in, the, in, 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 that one area where the corn snakes come from and, you know, whether we find anything or not, who knows, but, you know, it's good times just hanging out with friends and taking pictures of stuff and, you know, going into different habitats and stuff. That's, that's, you know, make most of the, hopefully my trip next weekend will be mostly fly fishing if I can make it happen. <laughs> Got rained out last trip this spring. So I'm going to try to make the fly fishing in the mountains a little bit more, uh, reality now in the fall without that letter
1: mm-hmm. now it seems like you just want to be outside at all costs <laughs> you know whatever
0: yeah 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 i prefer to be outside and uh yeah. try to as often as possible you know life kind of gets in the way of you know that as much as it can you know having to go to work and pay bills and all those good things yeah. you know they kind of thwart some of that Keep
1: us caged up,
0: man. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I try, I try to, my, my buddies and I all try to, you know, get together as all our schedules, uh, allow. And, uh, we, uh, get out and enjoy some, enjoy some good field time and stuff. Some of the trips are, 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 hard brief trips. It's like, all right, I got like 36 hours this weekend. All right, let's make it happen. You know, no sleep, constantly going, you know, delirious driving, you know, out hiking around in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, those sort of things, you know, it's, you know, horrible when it's happening to some extent, but good memories when you're done with the whole situation, and you actually get good showers and meals than you when you're done with it all, so, you know, it's, it's all good.
1: Now, when you are collecting animals, or taking wild-caught animals, like, what are, some considerations whether it be you know like brandon in the chat mentioned do you see any things like the fungal disease and snakes or are you worried about parasites
0: I, 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 parasites are there i mean uh, parasites are definitely a, a, a they're they're a constant in in, in wild animals in, in various degrees and because i like water snakes and i have a little affinity for for gardeners as well you have a higher. Um, Higher prevalence of those because of food sources of, with those guys. Not as many parasites tend to transfer from warm-blooded mammals to to cold-blooded reptiles, uh, where you know a lot of the rat snakes and stuff would. But in water snakes and stuff, there, frogs and fish are great vectors for for, for parasites, um, and so that's a, a, always a um, you know a, a challenge uh, with those guys. I have still not yet in all my time in the field have not come across any animals that i was in suspect of um any of the sft symptoms so far but you know um uh, more of those cases seem to be prevalent up north where denning is a bigger uh a bigger thing than we experience down here in the south so whether some of that issue is more prevalent um because of those cohab you know, wintertime situations or not, it's hard to say. It's still early in the learning process.
2: So would um, you stay away from stuff? those areas that you know? Uh, yeah. Play? I
0: mean, if, yeah. if, if, if you knew, you know, I'm sure if you knew areas, you know, uh, were having issues, you know, it certainly would be, but at this time still, we know, we don't know a lot about that 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 at this moment, you know, there's lots of guessing and assumptions and all that kind of stuff, but, There's still a lot of study going on with that stuff and as to how and why and that stuff exists and transmits and affects and all that kind of stuff that it's, I I tend to worry, I tend to worry more about getting an animal from somebody's private collection Mm -hmm. and getting crypto than I worry about, you know, parasites are pretty easy to deal with as long as you can get an animal eating and established. Um, SFD is not something I have come across as of yet. Um, I know plenty of people show pictures where they've come across suspect animals or swabbed animals and they've, they've come up with them, you know, whether they're targeting them, you know, looking for that particular situation and doing field work with it or, you know, just by chance, you know, encounters and stuff, um, you know. It's obviously a concern on the horizon for, for everybody, you know, but at the same time, you know, there's some pretty bad threats in, you know, people's private collections as well, you know, with crypto being a big one because that's a real silent um real silent killer S- slips in quietly, unless you're doing the right disinfecting protocols, you're not doing anything for it. And uh, it slowly affects animals over time. And so it, there's a lot, you know, a lot of infecting other animals that can go on if, if you're not taking the right steps to not let that happen, so to speak. You know, everybody's quarantining protocols and disinfecting and per- parasitizing protocols are different you know for all of their different reasons and experiences and stuff like that um but uh you know I, I i have more concerns when i'm getting an animal from somebody else from their private collection than i do worry about i almost i, I prefer to actually go click my own stock and that's why i do it more times than not is i go click my own stock because i know i know where i got it and i know it hasn't been in some captive septic dealer's hands or somebody's you know collection that you know has a questionable you know uh disinfection protocol it's that sort of thing so there's you know there's the more virulent stuff is actually in the captive collections you know
2: i love model. that you're more wary of captive born bread than the live
0: absolutely absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent. much more worried about getting something from somebody else's collection that's why that's why i prefer to get my own stock and selectively get stuff from other people because of because of that reason right there i think Crypto, cryptos bad man cryptos bad
1: yeah that makes me want to stay with Cause I mean, we haven't really bought any new snakes as far as corn snakes me? go. As far as <laughs> things that were, that we could bring in crypto, uh, you know, at this gonna love I, the significant
0: of other's me, response right there. Excuse
2: me. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, we bought
2: like, uh, we bought
0: other things
2: uh, six months ago or like eight months ago. We had like zero king snakes. How many do we have now? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, but
1: that's different. I'm talking about it, particularly in the corns.
0: Oh, okay. You should have said okay. that. We have a fight. Getting corns <laughs> and getting kings is totally different.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, you completely different a situation.
0: <laughs> one's going to bite you all day long and one isn't. You know, it's completely different.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, i love I love the king snakes, but uh the fact that people think that those are like a great pet animal. Dude, they bite <laughs> you fucking constantly or my especially the, babies. the ones that don't the ones that don't bite me shit on me, so Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, kingsnakes to me are like, I mean, I don't know if maybe my, maybe garters are worse than kings to me just because they're, they're, they're flighty and crappers and stuff like that. But man, kings, I get tired of getting bit by kingsnakes. I mean, <laughs> some of the ones that I've, I've parted with in, over the past year, I'm kind of glad I'm not working with them. I say <laughs> that as, I'll, as, I, as I, over the next probably two years, I'll be adding m- multiple localities of Florida kings and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it gets tiresome getting bit by those king snakes. Dude, every I time you that's... open the door, every time you open the door, man, they're expecting to be fed, and they're not going to back down.
1: I think that's the exception, though. At least what I found is that my my Brookside and then the Florida Kings seem to be more chill than, say, my Cali Kings. At least so far, Definitely. in a small sample size.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty small because uh, my King, my Florida Kings will eat me alive, um, and the Cal Kings that I had they would eat me alive too. They don't really care. You know, they're not selective. If you're open in the cage and you're warm, you're getting bit. And you're going to try to be swallowed. That's, that's pretty much it. You better I put like- a are There better be a rodent between you and that animal to get in their mouth first.
1: I like the fact that they're a little nonchalant about it. You know, the corns and the other colubrids, most of them are very strikey, bitey, fast. The kink snakes, you know, will just straight up grab your hand and never let go. I think it's more gingerly done and it's less intimidating. (laughs) And then you're just like, oh, okay, shit. Now this is stuck in my hand for a certain period of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to have bloody handprints on the rest of the cages as you go through your, your process. This is the, over the next couple hours of cleaning and feeding. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. My, my water snakes don't do that, man. So, you know, a, and I, I think it's great. And most of my rat snakes just hiss at me or do bluffing hisses at me. So I tend to appreciate that a little bit more than my kings. But I, I have a, a childhood, uh, I guess, a childhood fascination with Florida kings. So I'm kind of going to stick with doing the. Some Florida localities and I've got two or two or three localities I'm playing with right now so I, I can't keep most a lot of the others because uh we have two slash three king snakes here in the state and two are protected and the other they can't decide if it's related to the other one at this point or not as taxonomy changes keep happening so I, I have limited uh uh ability to keep some of the king snakes you know, here in this state, I can, I can work with, you know, some of the Splendidas and stuff out farther west, and the Cow Kings and stuff, but all the Easterns, and the, the whole speckled Eastern Black complex situation with the taxonomy changes, and talk of it going back, right now the state just keeps all that stuff uh, as a no-go for the most part, so uh, just, unfortunately, I catch the most gorgeous Eastern Blacks slash speckled Kings in my own yard. And but uh, you know it's a couple quick pictures and send it back into the garden situation. So you know.
1: Yeah, I need to get me some of those speckles
0: <laughs> and get easterns. Me. Gotta get me yeah. some uh, of them.
2: Get me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I, get, I, I just I, I yeah. love I love the speckles and the eastern blacks, but it's just uh, until they figure out how they're going to settle things, you know, here in the state regulatory wise, it's just a I'll just stick with my Florida kings that I grew up fascinated with as a little kid.
1: Yeah. Now. I still can't get over the fact that you find that your water snakes are more handleable than say a king oh, snake or- Yeah, they're
0: way, they're way more
1: handleable. Is it an age thing? Do they start off terrible and then they get good or?
0: Um, you know, I think just the initial irascibility on a, um unless say a wild caught animal, it doesn't last long. Like as soon as you start getting them to eat, it goes just goes away. Like I never get bit by my water snakes, ever some of the babies from certain localities are a little spunkier shyer than the other than others but on the whole like i never get bit by my water snakes i get bit by king snakes every time and i get bluff strikes by various rat snakes depending on if they're well it really doesn't matter whether they're captive ones or not some of my captive you know generations ones are pretty spunky too so um it just varies um depending on on the different animals but uh but yeah, my, my water, my waters are by far the most, more laid back. Well, my bandits and mangroves, there. mangroves naturally in the wild. That's one of the, because they, they integrate well, depending on which taxonomy you call it, hybrid or integrate or whatever. They used to be considered subspecies of bandits and now they're their own species and whatever. But that's one of the ways I have a friend that does field research with them. That's one of the ways they can tell if it's got fasciata integrate with it is if it bites you, it's got some banded blood in it and if it doesn't bite you it's a pure mangrove i mean aside from other things it's a quick it's a quick reference because the band (laughs) attempts that they're a little more irascible temperament as a wild-caught animal but honestly i mean i don't even i can't begin to tell you how many banded water snakes between southerns and floridas that i have and as adults much less babies and uh yeah they they never bite me and i never get bites from ever
1: well, I still don't believe you, so we may have to get <laughs> a fine. pair of red mangroves in order to prove the case.
0: <laughs> so we, we can, we, we, yeah, mangroves definitely, definitely are are, are are more so than the others. But honestly, yeah, we we'll, we'll, we we you need to get some nerody in your in your hands and, and realize how much how how cool they are. I'm I'm growing some big fans out there with people being able to, you know, feed them easier and to have success with them. I think that's a lot of the issue historically with the is that people are keeping them wrong and dealing with having to deal with fish and frogs and all that kind of things. And uh, I got exposed to, to working with them. I never kept them as a kid. I was always catching them as a kid. Um, but uh, while working in the zoo field and keeping native species on exhibits, I, got, I was in a position to work with primarily. The uh, plain bellies at yellow bellies from this area, uh, and, and midlands and stuff, and because of trying to maintain those and do exhibit animals with them in mixed species exhibits, you know, I got a taste of trial and erroring with keeping neurodia. Um, and uh, when when we decided to kind of get back into into keeping something after a, a good few year break and going this route, um, uh, you know, it it didn't take a whole lot for me to kind of quickly go directly to the rodent route because the garter snake crowd all does it i mean they all feed rodents you know as a primary diet and the diet between rodent uh Nerodia and themnophis isn't that different on the grand scheme you know they're all pretty much all rodent and fish eaters with you know themnophis obviously going a little on earthworms and stuff like that more as babies but uh you know their their diets are all very similar in general with only a handful of them really being much of rodent feeders in the wild some are but um you know it's you know a, and the f- few folks that maybe tried nerodia and doing and and Thams, i guess too you know uh, started having trouble with with them with with fur and having impactions and stuff like that so i know a lot of people that do still feed fur and rodents and don't have a problem with it but i've known many people that have and so you know and, and hognose guys as, as well. Um, so I just went right to just doing hairless and everything's been fine, haven't had any any issues at all. So it's uh, it's been definitely the right route to go and has gotten a lot more people interested in keeping them and especially with me being able to offer some reasonably attractive looking animals. I've been pretty fortunate in my field time to most of the time, come up with a pair at a given spot. Maybe not even seeing another single animal, but a pair. And been fortunate enough to really get some pretty nice looking animals um, at, at these different different spots. Especially when I've only found a single pair at those spots. So it's been pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty lucky. And I think that's been uh, helpful in getting people interested in appreciating uh, the rodeo on the whole. But, Cause they're, they're cool animals. Right? They're, they're, they're great animals.
1: Um, yeah, we need someone out there telling people that. because right? I don't know if anyone knows.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I, I can see, you know, there's a lot of species out there, you know, um, that, that aren't worked with much in captivity. But a lot of those guys are a lot smaller and then their diets are a lot harder to mimic. You know, a lot of the smaller snakes and ringnecks and all those guys. And there's some people dabble in them. But, you know, they're already are pretty big animals, you know, right up in there with the king snakes and the rat snakes for the most part. And so there's really... You know, no reason why people shouldn't be working with them. It's just a matter of, as with other things that people work with, overcoming the hurdles of understanding what it takes to keep them. And some of the species in Aronia don't do well in captivity. Um, and I've struggled with them, and I have thrown my hands up with some of them. Green, greens are a big challenge for a lot of people, either either of the greens, and uh, and uh, they don't they don't do great in captivity. And uh, I've heard you know some repeated good successes with animals over in Europe, but uh, there's not really a lot of people that have had success long-term keeping and much less breeding them um, here in the country. We've, we've been, a couple of us have been trying on and off, um, but uh, I live just kind of enough out of range that getting my hands on fresh stock isn't always the easiest thing in the world. and um, Most of the ones that I unfortunately came across this past year um, were all while I was down in the national park, so it was just a couple quick photos and short videos of, of them so um it's a it's a much desired species i get a lot of people particularly overseas that want want florida greens or mississippi greens and it's like yeah yeah me too guys so that's i can't i can't offer them any i can offer you plenty of bandits though got lots of those
1: um oh sorry did you have a question well i was gonna say we're running low on time so yeah
2: I'm this just going to ask. Oh, I'm not sure if you um, mentioned this name before, but our friend Gustavo lives in Florida, and he was asking if you know Decker from Florida because he works with Nerodia.
0: Decker, is that a person's first name? I don't assuming know. Like, he's kind of like Madonna. Name. He goes by one name, or I I'm Elvis. assuming yeah, it's a last I don't know. name. Maybe he's just a symbol like Prince or something. I don't know. <laughs> um uh oh, The okay. name does not ring a bell. I do know of that name of somebody from years ago that was more of a rat snake guy and stuff. But, last uh, name, he says, um, but not in 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 the case certainly of Nerody. I don't know anybody that that goes that goes that you know name first or last Decker. name for that matter. <laughs> he wh- says John Decker. Oh, I, I do know of a I no don't know, but I know of a John Decker from years <laughs> ago down in the South Florida area. He was very well known for Deckard's Rats and Rosie Rats and all that kind of stuff down in the south part of the state. And if he's working with Nerody, I'm not familiar with that because I don't know the guy. I just know him by. Reputation, but not in a bad way, but just no, no, oh, the That's guy. Funny. There's those guys there. where it's
1: like they have a line of something, and it's like I've ne- I don't know who this guy is, but there's this line of it of a yeah. snake. So it's like I know that that guy exists out
3: there. <laughs>
0: yeah, like, there was know, a guy years is. ago working working with a lot of locality stuff of you know uh, rat snakes from out of South Florida localities um, back when everybody was just cared about morphs and stuff and it may be the same guy i don't know i don't really hear much of him these days but you know everything's social media these days and a lot of those older guys don't care to be on social media so um that may be the maybe the case so i don't know most neurodia guys we tend to interact with each other in some capacity but i've met a few neurodia guys that you know they don't they just no play is. around with some yeah, they just—they don't want to be on social media. They don't want to interact with people, and you know that sort of thing. And they're like, "Why are you doing it this way? You should be doing it this way. You're missing out on this." You know, like lingual luring, mangrove water snakes—they—they they, they actually like do like cop and copperheads, but they do it with their tongue. Well, because of the way I keep and feed my animals, I don't get to appreciate that because my animals aren't hunting live fish. Well, <laughs> live fish transmit parasites. Most right. of your commercially available stuff is thiamine deficient. And so it's not healthy to feed them, all those sorts of things. So, so you're okay you know,
2: with missing out?
0: <laughs> uh, it's okay. I, 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 I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to do without. You know, for the sake of getting to enjoy these guys safely. You know, uh, I, I can. And if I need it too bad enough, I can, you know, go buy some mollies or something and guppies and throw them in a the tank. And I appreciate it if I'm so inclined to do so. But uh, I, I, I've seen video of it. I know what it is. So sorry. <laughs>
2: So, unfortunately, we've kept you past your time, but it's, if someone <laughs> if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how could they find you or reach out to you?
0: Um, uh, probably the easiest way is uh, uh, the Facebook page that I have for my Herbs, which is Dark Horse Herpetoculture on Facebook. Um, you can message me through there and contact me that way. That's probably the most prominent way uh, to get in touch with me um, and uh, try to be as helpful as I can. That's all I can do. Not, I don't know it all. I don't know a lot. I know a little bit. I try to help people out where I can and uh, share what I enjoy working with. So um, that's that's probably the best route. Just just hit up my Facebook page and get uh, in touch with that way.
1: For sure. And if you're ever looking for, I mean, just a lot of people that I know will randomly post up something and I'm like, I really, really like that. Or, you know, it's a random thing like a fox yeah. snake or Slewinski and <laughs> – mm-hmm you're tagged in it and they got it from you and i'm like who the yeah. fuck is this guy and then-
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah fox snakes man i mean i've got like three localities of fox snakes now i <laughs> <That's laughs> just keep buying happens. more and yeah it happens it's like what you, you got some? okay i gotta have some what's it gonna take <laughs> you know, make it work that's all i can do
1: yeah, so just look through his page and be like, "I didn't know that existed until right now." That's one of those. I didn't things know fox snakes like... existed till right now.
0: <laughs> I never heard of them. <laughs> and because right taxonomy now. changes recently, it's all up in the air. You know, there's different kinds, and you know, and some states you can get them from, other states you can't get them from. And so it's it's you know, it's a it's a bit of a game trying to trying to get what you want to work with. So, but uh, you know, hopefully hopefully we'll start having baby fox snakes available for everybody to enjoy starting next year we had a couple of males available to surplus this year but uh hoping to have two maybe three localities next year if things go well who knows
1: for sure they're really cool snakes now if you want to reach us
0: you can find us
2: on facebook instagram youtube port city pythons you can go to our website at portcitypythons.com which we have snakes available you can email us at theportcitypythons.gmail.com. Um, you can see us at the uh, Rex Reptile Super Show. <laughs> Oaks, Pennsylvania. Oaks, Pennsylvania. November 10th. If you want to see vending. some
1: corn snakes and deli cups.
2: You can see this beautiful face next weekend, this weekend, in Chicago. I mean, that that's
1: up is... to the person who's looking at it. I guess that's up to. Okay, weirdo. <laughs>
2: um,
1: this is how our outros turn into long.
2: And outros. anything else, we will see you. No, that's it. We will see you next Monday. Joe will be exhausted from coming back. From Tinley. Yeah, I, uh, think,
1: I think next week's show we actually scheduled for Tuesday, um, so I think we may so be a little bit safe. Won't be
2: so exhausted. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Well, um, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening, and we will see you next week.
0: And later, thank you guys.
2: for coming on again.
0: Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity.